Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, the dark surrealist, Rod, and I'm joined by... First string quarterback, <laughs> Jess. She wants her quarterback. <laughs> I want my quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. I was like, we're bringing quarters back. <laughs> I'm so sorry, children. We're, we're a few years off from that one. <laughs> I want my nickel back. <laughs> Oh, how come that, if that doesn't exist, it needs to. Oh my gosh. No, it doesn't. The sexy back. <laughs> the sexy back we all wanted. Yeah, yeah. I'm bringing Nickel back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, if you're new to the show, let us explain. Jess, we talk movies, music, and TV on this podcast. Today, we're talking music, specifically the music of 2001, the day the music died. Oh no. Well, you know, it, the music industry was actually like, it, it took a hit in 2001. Because of a certain event that happened in September, mm. um, a lot of a lot of radio stations stopped playing certain songs. Sometimes just for the title alone. Yeah. Like they they would like rock stations would ban songs like "Smoke on the Water," just because of the title. Because "Smoke on the Water," the yeah. band "Smoke on the Water." No, 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 no. The song "Smoke on the oh. Water," fire in the sky. You know, but I've never like, heard that song, and that's probably why. <laughs> but yeah, and then like a bunch of bands, like what were we reading yesterday? Uh, Jimmy Eat World had to change the name yeah, of, the, of, their, of their album that came out that year yeah, because they, it. They released the album in June. It was called like Bloody America or something like that. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, maybe we should change it. And they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, <laughs> music of 2001. So what Jess and I have done is we have looked at a list of every music album released in the year 2001. We decided which one each of us have listened to the most in our lives. And uh, Is that what we've been doing? Yeah, yeah. Why have I thought we've been uh, playing poker this whole time? 2001 apparently is <laughs> when Jess's music, taste in music got like cemented. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like we were talking about this before we got on mic. Um, it's wild. I was like, yep, uh, 2001 is where most, not just music, my movies start to... <laughs> Look this way too. My TV show, mm, a little bit. It's like you've been into like you know po we've been talking popular music, typically when we talk justice stuff, and usually yeah. that's like music that was like thrust upon you. Yes. Uh, now it's like the music that you seek out and listen to. On I your bought own. these CDs. I listened to them in my red truck as I drove to high school. And if you listen to like when Jess is doing dishes, you know, like she'll have her her playlist on. Today, a lot of the music you're gonna listen to is the type of music she listens to <laughs> on your day to day. It is. And sometimes it's just not even in English. It's just, I got, I got something I like. I'll be like, Ooh, mm, I don't know what they're saying in Arabic right now, but it's hitting me. Well, right. you, you like apparently the music of the turn of the millennium. Yeah. Whatever rock was into. I'm a limillium baby. I'm a limillium baby. I'm a millennium Falcon. <laughs> anyway, with that said, let's talk about Jess's album. Hey, released. Unfortunately, on September 11th, 2001. Ah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> the breakthrough release of this popular Canadian post-grunge rock band, Silver Side Up by Nickelback. I hate you. But I also love it. <laughs> Here it comes. Oh, 
<laughs> so that comes from the YouTube video, Nickelback Doesn't Change <laughs> by Crockett Vincent. Uh, yep. Uh, <laughs> my up front, my main criticism of Nickelback is all their songs sound the same. They're hits, at least. You know, I know you played it to rag on them like everyone does when they use that. But I'm like, nope, I love it. It's a mashup that works. There's nothing wrong with it for me. I get it. I get it. I And honestly, there is this this era. I really enjoyed this era of Nickelback. Once I got to college, I was listening to other stuff. You just can't make me mad about it. Like I'm like, no, I love it unapologetically. Tell me about Nickelback. Why did you listen to it so much? You know, that's a very good question. Where did you discover Nickelback? What, where in FYE? <laughs> In the mall? <laughs> Actually, no. What was that one before FYE? The record store that was outside usually about places? Oh, no. I was, in a, I was not frequenting record stores in 2001. I was. It's also where I picked up my first Eminem CD. <laughs> he was that. whatever he said he was. <laughs> the same year, I believe. Maybe. I don't know. And also, I can't say that I was listening to this album. So here's the thing. I think my history with Nickelback is that... Um, I listened to uh, not Silver Side Up first. It was, what's the album that comes out in like 2003 or five? There's the, the one with Photograph was yeah. the, another big one. Yes. No, that's the first album I, yeah. I ever had, I ever heard. And then I liked them enough that I bought the album because I heard whatever I heard on the radio. And then I bought their other albums and I was like, yep, all this is for me. I don't really like The Road. We skipped that. I think we, no. yes. Yeah, we did. Though I owned it and I listened to it, it's probably my least favorite from this album, from this era. But I just like I went backwards, so I listened to this one because I really liked the their follow up album. Uh, but I also just really like some of the songs on here, and I just would listen to my car. So I probably like honestly was listening to Nickelback around freshman year of high school, so like two or three years after this, mm-hmm. and that's my that's why. <laughs> So you 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 hadn't even been exposed to this version of Nickelback until later. Until later, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because I could not escape Nickelback as a t- like a ten year old, whatever. Whenever this album came out, right? Why? A nine year old. It's just I listened to a lot. Of, like I was still probably listening to Radio Disney around this time, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was about to like give it up. We talked about that. Yeah. I was about to give it up. It was about to be done for music for Rod. But they did play How You Remind Me by Nickelback (laughs) on Radio Disney. And I remember like, it's because that song is so like catchy. I've been singing it all day in preparation for this this podcast. You have? But like, I remember being a little kid, like, you know, just singing it to myself, you know, in my room, you know, couldn't cut it as a blind man. You know, this is a weird song to play. Yeah, I know. I I didn't. I, I don't know. I know. I'm just. I thought maybe it was on one of those like now. Now that's what that's what you call music. Maybe it was from a maybe maybe they featured this song in a commercial for Mm -hmm. now. That's what I call music. Yeah. Uh, Maybe that's where I heard it. Maybe. I don't know. That could be it. But I remember this song when it came out and singing (laughs) it as a child. You know, and I've I've never been a fan of Nickelback. And like once I became like music conscious, you know, and actually like I I I was able to develop my own. I was an able audiophile. to audiophile. De- Stop that. When I was able to develop my taste in music in high school, like I would hear Nickelback and Creed and Stained and Foo Fighters and all these other post grunge bands, and I was like, they all sound the same. <laughs> Bush, they all sound. They all have the same like gravelly voice. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, 
I don't like that. You know, that's it's like fair. not diverse enough. That's fair. It's a bunch of like gravelly voiced dudes and they all sound the same. Mm, that's how I feel about all of your music. <laughs> Here's a funny story. I remember <laughs> <laughs> this is like so this is like this might be the most 2006 story ever. Mm. But in like I think early 2006 or Christmas 2005 or something, all of my friends and me all got Nintendo DSs. Mm -hmm. And the Nintendo DS had a feature built into the the system called PictoChat. PictoChat. You sending gifts? It sounds like you're going to you Basically, send you can send messages and like drawings to your friends who are in pros who are in close proximity to you in your DS. Okay. So we would go to like my friend Ken's house mm -hmm. and stay over the night. And, you know, it was like me, him, his brother, and a few of our friends sitting in the dark in his like guest room, typing picto chats to each other all night. Cute. And there was an argument between me and Ken about <laughs> like, he liked Nickelback and Creed. Mm -hmm. And I liked Black Sabbath and ACDC. And he, we both like got an argument via picto chat about how <laughs> each other's music sucks. Uh, I'm like, on Ken's side. Good job, Ken. Tell him what's what. Yeah. So not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> that is adorable. I love that story. Can I get in picto chat arguments with you? Get me a DS. <laughs> Where can we find a DS for cheap? eBay? Uh, I, don't, I don't even know, honestly. <laughs> Everyone has one. I'll steal one, but uh, let's let's talk. Let's let's see where Nickelback came from. Okay, okay. you know, up, uh, sweet old up north, up north, America's hat, Canada. <laughs> Nickelback's formation can be traced back to an early '90s Alberta, Canada-based cover band called Village Idiot. <laughs> okay, comprised of brothers Chad and Mike Kroger, their cousin Brandon Kroger, and friend Ryan Peak. Bunch of Krogers and a Peak. Yep, so uh, if you recognize some of those names, you'll know them as most of the people who comprise yeah. Nickelback. In 1995, the band changed their name to Nickelback, inspired by Mike Kroger's job at Starbucks, <laughs> where he would frequently say to customers, here's your Nickelback. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> I love it. It's so stupid. Here's it is a village idiot. Thanks to a $4,000 loan from the Kroger Brothers' stepfather, the band was able to record their debut EP, Hesher, in 1996. Though only about half of that money went to the record, as Chad spent the other half on magic mushrooms. Oh, no, Chad. Yep. Chad, no. <laughs> he copped to it in an $2, interview. $2,000 on mushrooms? He said he, 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 went, he, he flipped them, so he sold them back to people and made a profit. Oh. <laughs> so a young businessman, Chad Kroger... <laughs> Entrepreneur. <laughs> the uh, the statute of limitations might be over on that one. Also, kids, um, I know I just said entrepreneur, but don't do that. I catch you in the street selling anything, you're going to get a one-two punch from me. Nickelback recorded their debut LP, Curb, later that year. And thanks primarily to the single, Fly, the band developed a respectable following around Canada. How old were they? I would assume late teens. I mean, 20s. old enough to... Be my magic mushrooms. <laughs> Maybe in their 20s. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. In 1997, Brandon Kroger left the band, prompting the remaining members to seek out a replacement drummer. Oh, no, Brandon. They settled on Mitch Guindon. Okay. Uh, French. Yeah, Guindon. I was going to say French Canadian. That Guindon. makes sense. But he was let go from the band in 1998 because he was, quote, not meant for the road. Oh. I guess uh, he had, like, health problems. He, oh. couldn't, he couldn't physically... Be on tour. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Understandable. The drummer spot finally went to Ryan Nick Vicadel. 
All right, Ryan Nick. Yeah, so there's two Ryans at the band at that point. So one had to be called Nick. <laughs> that's the drummer. Nickelback soon caught the attention of Roadrunner Records R&A Ron Burnham, who spent months trying to convince his bosses to sign the band. So Roadrunner Records, they're kind of like they're big now. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're based they're like the I would say the leading rock and metal label in the world. Uh, I, I think that's fair to say. Dang. Um, All right. But back then, they only focused on underground uh, uh, metal acts. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, much different from what yeah, yeah, yeah. is. And like maybe a few rock bands here and there. But yeah, they, they were primarily just underground metal. Okay. Nickelback signed with Roadrunner Records and EMI in 1999. They were the label's first venture into mainstream rock. Okay. So. I mean. Yep. Nickelback some... was the, the first. And they did well. Remind me in segment two about Roadrunner Records because I have a funny story uh, for <laughs> another time. Nickelback's first album with Roadrunner slash EMI, The State, released in 2000. Thanks to singles Leader of Men and Breathe, the album sold well, charting on the Billboard 200 and earning gold certification. And in March 2001, the band even won the Juno Award for Best New Group of the Year. <laughs> Juno is like the, the Canadian Awards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nickelback stepped back into the studio in April 2001 to record their follow-up with legendary grunge-era producer Rick Parashar serving as producer. He was the guy who helped forge the Seattle sound of grunge. Oh. Soundguard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he, he, he was the guy. The guy. So, yeah. Hmm, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. cool. So, in, in a lot of ways, Nickelback is, when we say post-grunge, he is, he is, they are true post-grunge. Mm. They were handled by the they architect are himself. They are co-opting the grunge sound in the truest form. <laughs> Many of the songs that ended up on the album, eventually titled Silver Side Up, had been written and produced prior to the album's release, such as Hangnail, Hollywood, and Just Four. We will not talk about any of those nope, songs. <laughs> I don't like those songs. <laughs> the band reportedly took their time recording the album. Chad Kroger, who had by this point stepped up as the band's unofficial manager, studied successful rock tracks of the day in order to understand how to craft bankable rock songs. Mm. He said, quote, I started studying every piece, everything sonically, everything lyrically, everything musically, chord structure. I would dissect every single song that I would hear on the radio or every song that had ever done well on a chart. And I would say, why did this do so well? I mean, research is important. I'm like, I, 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 on one level, I respect the <laughs> hustle. On another level... Uh, I want to be very cynical, and that it's, it just seems so corporate manufactured. It sounds like a sellout. <laughs> doesn't sound doesn't sound like it has no artistic purity. Look, I can let you be cynical, but I'm also going to say there is an art in analysis. Like I get it, I get it. We're like, no, just don't do it for the money. Do it for the uh, yo. Sometimes we need money. Sometimes we got people relying on us. Be an and artist, sometimes- you know, like write art for you. But like it, it reminds me just like when Bon Jovi in the 80s was focus testing their songs to make it the most popular and yeah. bankable song that it could be. Chad Kroger's doing the exact same thing. Look, when you have a company to appease and a contract to hit, you got to do what you got to do until you are freaking Beyonce. Beyonce can do what she wants. Beyonce could do what she's you know who, done the hustle. She's you, done the hustle. You know who proved themselves by sticking true to their guns? Not everyone can be them. Dream Theater and the band we'll talk about in the second segment. Uh. They never, you know, like sometimes, yes, they did venture into like almost becoming that. But 
they all like I think you know philosophically they 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 fought really hard to stick to their guns you know stick to the the true artist's intent of their music and it paid off for them eventually that's nice that they had the privilege of being able to do that but that's not the same for everyone right like it's just not so i hear you and i can see people and why people do get cynical about it like well why couldn't you have just like because sometimes you can't do that straight off some people can some bands can some do right like I, that's why i was asking like oh how old were they because they weren't Backstreet Boys or NSYNC who were wildly talented, but were still put in a machine, you know, like they in the same way, you know what I mean? Like they were wildly talented individually, individuals on their own, but were put in a machine to be popular, to get what they actually wanted. And sometimes the system works like that. Sometimes you see, hey, that's how the system's working. So I'm going to go that way. Sometimes to be heard, you have to work within the system. Anyway. I, I looked it up just now. Ch Chad Kroger was somewhere around 26 years old. Okay. So mid twenties, but still, I don't know, man, maybe this is why I also you don't, don't have to like it. <laughs> I don't like a lot of Nickelback songs because they sound manufactured. Mm -hmm. They sound very mainstream on purpose, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it just, it, it's very dry to me, you know, like there's and no soul. It's soulless. You're allowed to have that opinion. I wouldn't call it soulless though. <laughs> <laughs> We'll talk about the songs. <laughs> Recording on Silver Side Up wrapped in June 2001 and the band and record label swiftly decided that How You Remind Me should be the album's lead single. The song released in July 2001 and reached number one on both the Billboard Mainstream Rock charts and the Modern Rock Tracks chart before Silver Side Up even released. Sweet. Yep. Paid off. <laughs> he, he wrote the most bankable rock song he could. Guess what? It was he the most up. bankable rock song of the summer <laughs> and that's silver side up hey so we get to talk about some songs now we do you told me off mic that uh three of the four of these were singles yes which one was not the single uh the second song we'll talk about that's so weird that yeah. the third song was a single we'll get there <laughs> yeah i was like the songs that deal with the heaviest subject matter <clears throat> just so happen to be these singles that's so all right. Varying degrees of success on on how they, you know, execute and express the feelings involved. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, agreed. We'll talk about it though. Yeah. So the uh, first song, when it, it released first, so and it's the song everyone knows. We should probably just Off start of this with album. It. Yeah. Let's talk about how you remind me. Never made it as a wise man. I couldn't cut it as a poor man stealing. Tired of living like a blind man. Sick aside without a sense of feeling And this is how you remind me This is how you remind me Of what I really am This is how you remind me Of what I really am It's not like you say sorry Yeah, I feel like everyone knows the words to those so that song, you know? <laughs> that, that verse is just like, you know, I, I, I mumbled it all day. Couldn't cut it as a blind man. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's 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 haplessly catching. I don't know that I'm using that word. I'm right. like, and it might be because of you know I'm just overly familiar with it. But it's probably the song I like, you know, enjoy the most of what we talked about. What we will talk about. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, I don't like it. You know, this is not a song I want to put on my phone to listen to in the car. Mm -hmm. I, I I I I would be okay if I never hear the song again in my life. Okay, but. 
I, I don't like get angry or tense or like, you know, it doesn't offend me. That's because his market research is it. good. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's just a song I can tolerate. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is the thing that is tolerable? Is it the sick guitar? Is it the boom, boom drums? There's not, there's nothing musically that's even like, it's lyrics. Yeah, I, 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 there's one. There's one thing musically that I'll point out later in the song. But yeah, like the, the this song is as generic as it gets as far as the musical instrumentation goes. Like, yeah. there's nothing flashy in the guitar playing and the drumming. It's just like, yo, we're doing the bare minimum yeah. to get the point across. <laughs> Look, I'm a lyric girl. <laughs> I know you are. And occasionally, right? There's exceptions to the rule. I think one of the songs we're going to talk about, I'm going to be like, lyrically, this is stupid. I just like to listen to it. But I I think that that's one of the things, right? Like, I wonder how much, like, talking about, we're going to talk about it, right? But, like, even what you're saying, like, doing the research, see why things do big and stuff like that. I think because the music is a little one note. It's... Um, I, that, it's certainly digestible. Like I can understand like why like moms like Nickelback. You're like, oh, that's the safe rock and roll. You know, it's like I understand it. I'm a mom. You know, I can understand what that young man says. Oh yes, yeah, so that's a big plus for me. I don't have to read the lyrics to hear what's being said. Unlike some music we've had to talk about on this, we have a lyric rule on this podcast because of your music. <laughs> like when we started doing this, it was like I can't understand a single thing anyone is saying in your music i what are they saying anyway all this to say D double, right? for, like, double for this episode but what i was saying before you rudely cut me off was um that oh yeah like the the research that goes into this like part of me feels like it for some of the songs right like and i know you do research and have more history than i do about the but story like I could see it being about like, hey, I, there's a, a story I want to tell, right? Like the occasions that I've written songs, it's like I have this image in my mind or the occasions I've written poems because we all know I am not a poet. I'm a like, give me 20 to 500 pages to write you what is in my mind. But if there's something like short and concise, if there's like a couple of lines I want to extrapolate on, I try to find a, a, a form that makes so I could see right where it's just like the music isn't carrying it, but the point isn't the music in some of these songs. The point is I want to say something. I want to say something about this experience, or I want to say something about this this thing that I thought of. I want to share this, and the easiest way to for you to be able to hear it and for it to be retained is in this format, in this very digestible, mostly un uh, offensive <laughs> kind of plate, right? Like a beautiful bed of rice with some kimchi, <laughs> you know, like you can focus on just those things I, I, as a piece of poetry. This, this one might be the strongest. Like mm -hmm. there are lines in here. I'm like, yeah, it's a good line. Yeah. Good job, Chad. Oh, I should say this, uh, this song, as with all songs on silver side up was written by Chad Kroger. Go on, so Chad. Chad's the Go guy. Off. Chad's the guy. Oh no, Chad. <laughs> I've got, I've got the story behind this song. It's it's well documented, but do you want to like talk about the lyrics without the baggage first? Uh, yes, and then see what how it changes that for me. Because hey, yeah. kids, even though I like, oh, I don't know that I've ever said this on mic, but you should be able to realize this. Like, I very much separate art from artist. <laughs> 
all the time. So I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't I don't want to know. If something that you're doing is going to affect the way that I intake your art, I'm going to do my best not to know about it. <laughs> and if I have to know about it, then hopefully it doesn't make me stop listening. But typically it doesn't, right? Like I know this was in 2001 and there are some things that Chad has done recently that I was like, I know on the peripherals of my no, mind. I, I, I don't know anything, so. We're fine. Okay. But I'm like, and I don't need to, I don't care. I don't know who this person is. I just like these songs and that's fine. So uh, it will be interesting to hear what it is quote unquote really about. Okay. So he couldn't cut it as a wise man, right? Is that what it, I don't I don't have that lyric up in oh, particular. Yeah. Uh, no, he never made it as a wise man. He couldn't cut it as a poor man stealing. He was tired of living like a blind man. Sick. He's, I, he, he, it was like as literal as it gets. That's one thing. Like a lot of the songs, that's one of my main criticisms is like he he's telling. He's not showing. He's telling. <laughs> really? So what is this? What does this mean to you? Because I like had I like I wrote some things that I was like, mm, but what does I, that like, mean? The, OK, so he's he's in his mid 20s. We mm -hmm. looked that up like he's a. He's he's lived, you know, he's got like the quarter life crisis going on. You know, he's, he's got a quarterback life. He's crisis. he's tested, you know, aspects of life. You know, mm -hmm. he's a little seasoned. He's a little world weary, right? Got it. A little worldly. Uh -huh. You know, so even as a little kid, you know, he, hearing those opening lines, I could tell, okay, this is this is a guy that's lived a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, and he's yeah. he's he's seen what was out there. He sowed his oats, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Bit a little He's done a little this, done a little that, yeah. sold a little mushroom, did a little dance. Yep. <laughs> did a little dance, made a little love, okay? <laughs> he got down last night. No! <laughs> um, so I think that's the character, Yeah. right? But I don't, I know that because he told me. <laughs> okay. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't just like, you know, express it. In a way that made you think. More figuratively, you know, like it's just more like direct to the point. Really? I thought I could. Okay, here's the thing, right? Um, I'm sitting here like, okay, but what does it mean, right? I never made it as a wise man. What does that mean to you, though? He's he's not like smart. I think maybe it's like he's young. He's he's young, young dumb. You know, that's that, fair. That's like what he's you know, and he he hasn't like lived the most wise life. You know, he's 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 been foolish. I made foolish decisions. I read it as dropped out of college. That maybe. Like, like, so like, and not yeah. just like, oh, he's foolish, but like, I never made it as wise man. Like either, like I dropped out of college or I couldn't even get in. Like I could not make it as a smart person. Couldn't cut it as a poor man stealing. I tried that thug life. I tried like living on, the, I tried buying and selling mushrooms. I tried doing those things. I couldn't cut it. That was not the life for me either. I'm tired of living like a blind man. Okay. Like you can't see. What is it? But the following line, I'm sick of sight without a sense of feeling, right? Like the idea of being able to that that's following like I'm tired of living like a blind man, sick of sight without a sense of feeling that's flipped, right? Like I'm tired of living like I can't see the problem that I'm ignoring it, that I'm blind to it. But going back, it says, but I'm sick of sight. So you're not blind but without a sense of feeling, right? Like saying the apathy of that, or rather going from being blind to being deaf, to being hearing impaired, right? Sure. So it's, I'm not wise, I'm not rich, I cannot see, hear, or feel. I'm an this is And this is how you remind me that I lack. I'm an angsty Gen Xer in the 90s, or the, the late 90s. It's poetry. 
He's George from Life as a House. Oh my gosh, no, this is not he's, the yeah, George. He's, 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 he's <laughs> there, is, there is a there is a song that specifically is it actually later here? No, <laughs> there's a song. The another a couple lines down actually that I was like, George. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying, yeah, like, yeah. like middle class angst. We've talked about it. A very a very prominent theme in the media of the late '90s, and yeah, 2000s, and. Yeah, it's, it's evident here, too. Yeah. But all I'm saying is it's not necessarily just flat, right? Like it is like, OK, you've just told me this. But I was like, yeah, but I think like you can it's, dig it's on more. It is on we. It's on we. But he's putting on we in two words. <laughs> and then uh, the chorus has, I think, some of the best lines in the song. You know, it's not like you to say sorry. I was waiting on a different story. This time I'm mistaken for handing you a heart worth breaking. I like this. And I've been wrong, I've been down, been to the bottom of every bottle. I like that. Yeah. It's like, I, I was like, again, it's like describing a, a, a worldly person, someone who's lived a bit of a life, you mm -hmm. know, even though they're, they're only a ripe 25 years old. Right. <laughs> I've been to the bottom of every bottle. I've sought out every pleasure, you know, mm -hmm. or, or I, I've tried to fill me with, with every type of, uh, yeah. leisure, you know? So what are those bottles? You know, tequila bottles, whiskey bottles, right? Beer bottles, pill bottles. You know, Mushroom. it's someone who's tried to numb the pain. Yeah. In many different ways. Yeah. I, I, I like that. I, yeah. I, I, I think been to the bottom of every bottle is a good line. Yeah. I do not disagree. <laughs> that 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 one showed me. It didn't necessarily tell me. <laughs> it's like I'm numbing my pain. <laughs> and it's sung with like that raspy crap, which crack, which is really good. I think it it sells the line a lot as well. Uh, I like the chorus. <laughs> I have lots of notes on the chorus. Um, but like even the bridge leading into it, right? This is how you remind me of what I really am, right? Not who, not anything like that. Like this coming from the first verse about this kind of apathy uh, and all of these things that he could not make it as, he could not, uh, he attain even as he tried. Uh, and this is how you remind me of what I am, which is someone who's at the bottom of a bottle. Like- Worthless. Someone who has tried and failed and the only thing they can do is empty themselves and into a bottle. Like, you so, know? So when he says, "How you?" Rem this is how you remind me. And these five words in my head, are we having fun yet? Who's yeah. you? That's Who, Who's the we? So that's one of the things that I have too i was like why these words who said these words or did someone tell because i'm also not sure right like who is this i, like, I know who is the, i okay. know the answer but okay, i, I want to yeah. know who you think so i'm thinking that it's a relationship right mm -hmm. um obviously it's some kind of relationship but i think it's a romantic relationship um <laughs> lots of notes okay because uh the part saying this time i'm mistaken and like i i wasn't sure if it's like for once uh, I did the right thing uh, where normally I don't or it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, um, 
you've messed up before and I'm doing this again, you know, like fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of thing. Um, and that pulls me back to these five words. Are we having fun yet? I was, yeah. I, I was, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, my question was right. Like who, who said this? Um, or did someone tell the, our, this character that, uh, when you're in love and when you know it's right, you're having fun. And they're just like these five words screaming in my head. Like, are we having fun yet? Is this what love is supposed to be like? Is this what a relationship is supposed to look okay, like? So you're like someone like legitimately asking either their partner or themselves. Are we having fun yet? Yeah. Like, is this what it's supposed to be? Right. Like yeah. we're committed. We're committed. Is, is, are we having fun yet? Like, is this what it's. And so I just found that really interesting that like, we're sitting here, like, is this what it's supposed to be? And you're reminding me that I am a what and a failure. And I know I've been wrong. And even like later, even earlier, like, it's not like you to say you're sorry. Like, what is this? This relationship just looks bad, right? It just looks bad. It I also, bad. it is bad. I believe it. Um, yeah, because just this time I'm mistaken for handing you a heart worth breaking. Like, like this is this time I should not have trusted you. This time I, I don't know, man. I don't know. There's a lot going on here. Uh, the next verse says, it's not like you didn't know that. I said, I love you. I swear I still do. What kind of love? I, th I uh, Romantic love. Yeah. The answer is romantic love. I'm revealing yes. that. Oh, yes. It, it, it totally is. Uh, and it must have been so bad because living with me must have dang near killed you. Now. That's the point I put. I only hated two years, George. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to our 2001 movie episode. Life Go listen to it. It's great. Uh, but adhere to the warnings. Um, that, that, that line there. Living with me must have dang near killed you. Total sarcasm. Right. Mm. That's purposeful. Yeah. Uh, Chad Kroger has gone on record and said this. This song is meant to be sarcastic. Oh, the whole ways. song. I don't know about the whole song. Mm. I'm sure there's some genuineness for sure. Authenticity. But that line is sarcastic. Uh. The line. Are we having fun yet? Is sarcastic. Yeah. So as sarcasm, it's like imagine someone who's frustrated. Yeah. Uh, imagine a man frustrated in their relationship with a woman like you know yeah you know like this this are we having fun yet you know yeah you having fun you having fun in this relationship you know <laughs> that's the vibe it gives me yeah no i totally get that right like because even uh because i didn't write all the things that i thought in the same chorus because it repeats the chorus and i was like i don't have room to write but the line uh i was waiting on a different story i was like what were you waiting? A lie? And then I put, is this the game? Like, is this the relationship? Like, you do something wrong. I catch you in it. You try to get out. I wasn't expecting you to say sorry. I wasn't expecting you to be genuine because that's not that's not what we do. Yeah, this sounds like a messy relationship. Oh, sure. it sounds not good. No, it, it sounds. Very I mean, we've talked about worse fictional relationships. Oh, for sure. <laughs> in media made. But this. Yeah, mm. this 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 relationship, as described in the song, sounds uh uh, petty yeah sounds uh you know manipulative yeah because he, he that line that that second verse you know uh i i said i love you and i swear i still do right he 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 says that and it's almost vulnerable but then the very next line he turns it around and is being a 
a sarcastic jerk about yeah. it, you know, like accusing her of you're obviously, you know, yeah, not cut out for me or something like that. You know, oh, I mm. must have been so bad to you. You want, you know, living with me was such a horrible nightmare. <laughs> I think like seeing that as sarcasm is interesting. Like I can definitely see it, read it as sarcasm. I can see this fight, right? I can see whatever this thing that we're fighting over it. Like I'm assuming cheating because it's the easiest thing to go to. Um, who knows? And, yeah. yeah, who knows? Like it may not be, but it's the easiest thing to go to. And it being like, like just looking at this whole, whole thing, right? Like. Uh, I caught you out. I saw these things on your phone. Uh, you're talking to another dude. I was expecting you to lie and you said, I'm sorry instead. And we're having it out, right? We're in a committed relationship and you were talking to someone else doing God knows what with somebody else. Um, and saying something like, well, you don't treat me the way that you used to, or he treats me like this. And it makes me feel like he loves me and it's and then the line like it's not like you didn't know that i loved you whether you him saying like it's not like you didn't know that i do love you like maybe i don't say it often but i said i did and i swear i still do and i show you in different ways but it must have been so bad because apparently i don't give you flowers so living with me just must have been unbearable like i can see yeah the fight like i can see it it's like those 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 messy breakup fights is when you bring out the worst i hope they're you, breaking up <laughs> bring out the worst in people don't they yeah you know, those type of fights you know that's when you that's when you go for the low blows yeah um it, and it's funny that you're adding this extra gravitas to this fight because to me it just seems like a a messy end to like a doomed relationship. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you're adding like, Oh, you so said maybe you're cheating, you know, and then he's, this guy is like, you know, I gave you my heart, you, you know, this, and I was like, to me, this just seems like a, a bad relationship from the start that just fell apart of, you know, inevitably. Yeah. That's what this brings to me. It's like, I this is a dumb relationship. Like, you know, one of those like dead end relationships you get in right out of high school or something, <laughs> you know, you're just like, you know, we tried living together, but it's like clearly neither of us are mature enough. To fulfill, you know, the needs of a partner. In yeah, a yeah, 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 exactly. We need to work on ourselves, and clearly, the the speaker of this song is troubled. Yeah. So this this the relationship is gonna fall apart. You know, yeah. it could have been as simple as simple as like, how come you never put the toilet seat down? You yeah. know, and, it, and then it somehow that argument became a bigger argument. Yeah. Like, Just get out. Just get out. <laughs> you know. I mean, I could see that too. Something maybe not the toilet seat, but some it's my like, apartment. Get out. Small things that build into. Like, like something that feels bigger and it yeah. is bigger. It is bigger for every relationship that breaks up. Like even if it's mutual, right? Like it's a big deal to break a relationship, but it could like from the outside be like, okay, you guys are just two very immature people that definitely need to just grow up. This is how, this is how a foolish man becomes a wise man. He never you know? made it as a wise man. I'm just saying this is on the journey to becoming <laughs> a wise man is these, you know, bad mistakes and you learn from them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything else. Okay, so let me reveal to you what uh, Chad Kroger said the song was about. He reportedly wrote the entire song after getting into an argument with his then-girlfriend. Mm -hmm. He went to the basement, turned on his recording microphone, and started improvising the song loudly, hoping that she would get the message about how upset he was. <laughs> Instead, she came down and told him that it sounded great. <laughs> of the song, he said, quote, somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour, I had the whole thing fleshed out. Lyrics, melody, chords, the whole nine yards. Yeah. And like I said, um, he meant the sarcasm. Yeah. Per it was on purpose. Of the subject matter, Kroger said, quote, 
It wasn't supposed to be a vengeful anthem. It was supposed to be what it was. I think it always felt like that in the moment because we just had an argument and I felt like striking back. But I find it to be a sarcastic look at relationships. Are we having fun yet? That's a full sarcasm. <laughs> One full sarcasm. He didn't say that. That's full sarcasm. Okay, I can see that. After, yeah. like, after, yeah, yeah, okay, no, no. Like, re-hearing that, like, you're right. Like, oh, it's funny, the gravitas you're adding to it. I'm like, yeah, I love doing that. But also, 100%, like, sometimes you and I get in arguments, and I have to walk away because I just want to be petty. Like, I just want to be petty and mean, and I'm like, I love you. I'm I'm upset right now, though, so I'm going to walk away before I, I burn our bridges. But we're, we're mature. Yeah. We've, we've cut it as wise men. Yes, we have. We've cut our teeth on wisdom. But, but you know, there are still some times where, like, okay, when I get playful and I'm like, oh, you don't want to hug wife? Wife is terrible. You don't want wife hugs. And I, like, walk away and then you feel bad about it. And that, then you give me hugs. Yeah, but that's that's not, like, yeah. an extremely uh, immature relationship. Yeah, you know? no, it's no, like no. When you have two immature people who get in an argument and clearly they're not meant for each other and it's time to go their separate ways, you know, they're not going to go out gracefully. It's, yeah. You know. No. Yeah. But that's fun. And it's fun to know they stayed together. They I did. mean, it wasn't a breakup song. They broke they, up. They broke up eventually. Eventually. You yes, know about his future partners. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's actually kind of funny. Uh, that is all I have to say about the lyrics of the song too. Because there was a musical thing you liked. Uh, oh my gosh! Okay, this is the this what I'm about to say is the case for every song we're going to talk about. <sighs> every Nickelback song, the singles, and one other at least, you know. And I, a, a part of me feels like it's the same for all of them. They all follow the same structure. It's the same exact structure for all of them. Uh -huh. It is verse, chorus. Yep. Yep. Second verse, chorus. Yep bridge slash solo then a repeat of the first verse yep chorus uh-huh every single time Beautiful. no almost almost no song on this album has a third verse it's excellent and i'm like it seems like they just forgot like they couldn't think of another verse they just the song was long enough it's Song. Real songs have three three verses they mm. can make it work even all star by smash mouth had a third verse real songs so all of the songs feel very formulaic and half-baked, you know? Like, I'm like, where's the third verse? You don't need a third verse. I feel like a, the third verse can be very strong and kind of tie all the themes together. It can get abstract. Cool. That's where a lot of real songs get abstract Great. and kind of universal. I hear you. When I go to listen to your music, anything past the third, I'm I'm not listening to it anymore. I'm talking about a, I'm talking no, about no no no. It's not an actual song. I don't need to. I'm talking about to pop it. songs. No, nope. come on. No, you don't get to make rules. You don't get to make rule. Every pop song has to look like this. Every no, every, they did that. No. They did that. All their songs looked like this. No, no. Then this is what then this is what a Nickelback signature is. This is what a signature Nickelback is. This is a Nick back sing. I'm just saying that <laughs> I I like my music to go outside the mold a little bit. No. But <laughs> I'm looking at cookie cutter songs sometimes in this Nickelback stuff, okay? You, sir, should apologize to me. Okay. All that to say, all that to say, I do like the sound of the bridge. I think the bridge is quite nice to listen to.
Never made it as a wise man. I couldn't cut it as a poor man stealing. And this is how you remind me. This is how you remind me. This is how you remind me. You know, they're mixing the acoustic guitar with the electric guitar. Little, it's more artistic, you know, dynamic than than then they they did they didn't have to do that yeah so i appreciate the sound of that you know it sounds like some of the best puddle of mud songs which is another post grunge band that like i can tolerate yeah but like they do Puddle have Mud. some pretty music sometimes mm -hmm. i feel like this might be a good opportunity to just talk about it right here um, i've used the term post grunge a lot and we actually talked post grunge way back in our 1997 music episode we talked dream theater mm -hmm. and they had a song that you said sounded like nickelback yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and um <laughs> i and i had said that in the late 90s the genre of post grunge was burgeoning you know it was, it was coming into its own becoming <laughs> its own thing right because historically post grunge came out of grunge obviously mm. it's you know that's self-explanatory <laughs> but the the term was a derogatory term to start you had all these little bands in the 90s who were co-opting the look and sound of grunge but turning it into a very like they were doing away with the they were doing away with the the abstract ideas um the the artistic like vision of of grunge like mm -hmm. nirvana like was a very contemplative band meditative yeah Whereas some post-grunge bands in the mid-90s who were, they looked like grunge rockers, but their songs were a little bit more direct, a little bit more mainstream, a little bit more radio-friendly, mm -hmm. which went against the anti-mainstream, anti-corporate, you know, sensibilities of those grunge bands in the early days, right? right. So it was a, when people said post-grunge, it was an insult. Mm -hmm. But then post-grunge, by this point, we're in 2001, it is its own genre. Yeah. Um, one that is fully formed here with Nickelback Silver Side Up. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think I think they they might have like, you know, th this is its final form, you know. So they have, yes, they have the vocal stylings, the the distorted guitars, the grunge look, you know, a little dirty, you know, they're they're rockers still, <laughs> right? But they're a lot more radio friendly. Right. They're very like very radio friendly like, like that, that 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 verse chorus structure mm -hmm. is perfect for pop radio yes and that is why they crossed over yes. they were crossover hits because they looked like rockers but they felt like pop i i was reading that some music like historians and uh and, and analysts would describe would would compare them to the bubblegum soul of the 70s with the Jacksons, where it was like they were taking the soul genre and crossing it over by making it very mainstream, very pop, uh, uh, radio friendly in order to appeal to a mass audience. Okay. Bubblegum soul is what the Jacksons called themselves. So post-grunge is the bubblegum grunge. <laughs> That's so interesting. Sorry, this is going to take a small tangent because growing up, my mom would always call like some music that I listened to bubblegum music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought it was uh, uh what was the, what's that term that somebody used when we talked about Christina Aguilera? Bubble brain. Bubble brain. Okay. I, I'm gonna say that's this is not always bubble brained either. There yeah. is post-grunge music and, and lyrics that are thoughtful and artistic. I think like Foo Fighters is like 
they're, they're they have like really good songs in and i think you know that band has things to say so it's mm. like when when like i said post grunge now is like not necessarily something to look down on it's, it's just a different genre now it's its own thing it's separate from the grunge of the early 90s and it's different from some of the other alternative rock that you hear at this time and new metal which was also popular mm-hmm yeah, and I and and that being said, like that's actually funny to me. In that, I like what I like, right? Like you hearing you say, uh, it's not looked down upon now. Like it is. Ki- I kids, guess it is. Kids, I just want you to know. Um, since I was about fourteen or fifteen, I've been wearing Birkenstocks, and I've had multiple members of my family literally throw them in the trash because they're like, these are ugly shoes. Why would you wear? Them? Growing up, growing up in the nineties and the two thousands, they were like, these are disgusting. Why do you wear them? What do you do? Birkenstocks are so very in right now. I've been wearing them for more than half of my life at this point, and they're quote unquote in now, right? And I'm not trying to say that I'm hipster. I'm very much a hipster, but I'm not saying that like, oh, I'm right. But you know, I'm just kind of like, look, when they go back out of fashion again, I'm still going to like them because I like what I like. Don't throw my stuff in the trash. I'm just going to dig it out and be a little offended. And that's how I feel about gr- like, I get where you're just like, oh, I'll still look down. about like, I don't care. Like, I like it. It's not a, I understand that it's not offensive and some people can be like, oh, but it doesn't challenge your brain or da, 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 da. It's like, look, my brain is challenged in a lot of different things. <laughs> a lot of stuff. Some of the other music that I listen to is like, why am I doing this to myself? Let me have what I want. I like that it's poppy. I like the lyrics are catchy. I like that if I want to, I can dig deeper. I like it. I like it. And I think it's good. And so like knowing that it's just like, Oh, it's bubblegum. It's what he can cross over. I'm like, look, you crossed over into my heart. Let me chew you, bubblegum. <laughs> that's fair enough. I I don't like it. I like music that's a little bit more complex, dynamic, uh, uh, challenging. In the musicality. Yeah. No, just in, even in lyrics. I like music that challenges me. You know? I Okay. I'm not going to say you don't because that is not true. But... I, upon doing this, when I make us listen to the lyrics, there's a lot of times you're like, is that what they're saying? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, but that, I always know what my music is saying. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, I liked Lauren Hill. Yeah. I loved her lyrics. They were challenging. Yeah. They had very complex things Excellent. to say. She mm-hmm. was exploring, right? I can't say the same for some Nickelback song. Like <laughs> Most it is of, okay. Shallow. Lauren Hill, Miss Lauren Hill is on a different yeah, level than Nickelback. I'm just Nickelback, saying there's a but... shallowness, in my opinion, to yeah. this type of music. Okay. Um, I don't have the energy to like crap on it like I used to. Okay. Good. Like, I used to be like, yeah, just yeah, this, this is bad music. I was like, no, it's not bad music. It's just not for me. Yeah. <laughs> Funny story about that. I was on the Wikipedia article for post grunge, and there's a little section about how some people like to call post-grunge music butt rock. <laughs> now, I use the term butt rock you to <laughs> describe a different type of alternative <laughs> rock from this era. I would not say post-grunge is butt rock. I think butt rock's a little bit more like pop, like even more poppy than this. You know, yeah. like, I'm talking like Sonic the Hedgehog music, butt <laughs> rock. But just saying, this music, some people have a really like... yeah. Uh, they have visceral reaction. Yeah, yeah. They they have a uh, just a repulsion to post grunge. Yeah, I get it. I I feel like I don't feel deeply enough about anything except hatred, <laughs> like literal hatred of people and things. Like, why are we doing this? Shut up. But like art and stuff, there's stuff that I'm just like, it's not for me. Like, I'm not gonna. I used to be full of trend. Like, I'm crapping on Twilight and blah 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 blah. But I'm like, it's a movie for for kids. If they like it, they like it. As long as they don't think that that is relationship goals, 
that's fine. Like, or it's just kind of like your music, like uh, progressive rock and stuff like that, where I'm like, is it for me? No. But are there some songs that I've downloaded, like not whole albums, but occasionally I was like, yeah, because I like that. I don't have to like the whole thing or hate the whole thing. I can pick and choose. I'm a cherry picker. Okay, look, that has a bad connotation. <laughs> but cherries need to be picked, okay? Anyway, I know you're hot. We there, can move on. <laughs> there's another... Uh, there is one um, winner in the emergence of post-grunge here in the, the, the you know the early 2000s, and that's Christian rock. Oh, that's fair. I, I've always joked about this. I feel like Christian music every 15 years discovers a new genre and they'll latch onto it for the next 15 years <laughs> and they'll only release popular Christian music in that style. Mm. And for some reason, post grunge was it. We had skillet. We had switchfoot. We had Hawk Nelson. R Reliant K. Reliant I, lo K. I loved me some POD. The Christian rock loved post grunge. It all yeah. sounded just like this. Yeah. So I just thought that was funny. It's like somehow post grunge also crossed over into the Christian music sphere. Yeah. That, that's the age of Christian music. I really like too. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and it wouldn't, it would take them until like 2013 to 15 to find something new. Yeah. Know? Which you call anthem rock. Now they're into the anthem synth rock of, you know, indie rock. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Also good. So yeah. Post grunge. Very, very interesting genre. And, uh, it, it, you know, you listen to it and you're like, man, that is so early 2000s. Uh, but uh, I have some audio fun. Oh, okay. Or uh, how you remind me. Oh, was it Club? No, no. <laughs> Give me some dubstep remixes. No, no. I this have, is how, how, how you remind me, me. Oonch, oonch, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I was going to say what I'm about <laughs> to say is cringier than that, but I now I'm not sure. <laughs> you, that went on so long. <laughs> Uh, but speaking of relationships, in 2012, Chad Kroger's then-girlfriend, future wife, future ex-wife, <laughs> Avril Lavigne oh my gosh. recorded her own version of How You Remind Me. Give it to me right now. For the anime film, One Piece Film Z. Ew, give it to me now. Never made it as a wise man. I couldn't got it as a poor man stealing. Tired of living like a blind man. I'm sick of sight without a sense of feeling. This is how you remind me. This is how you remind me of the I really am. It's not like you. I think I hate it. <laughs> I like hated it and then I kind of liked it and then I was iffy about it and then I think I need to listen to the whole version. It, it's just, it's so funny. Like, I don't know. It's just like, it, it was like a joke between them. Like, it was just like, hey, I got another song I need to record. <laughs> Chad, I'm going to record a Nickelback song. How does that make you feel? <laughs> you know, like, how weird. It's a little country, a little Lannis Morissette. A little, a little, uh, yeah, a little uh, Taylor Swift. Yeah. It's something. And uh, I, I am I am devastated that they're <laughs> not together anymore. Mm. Um, I, you know, relationships don't work sometimes. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that. I support like, hey, if it's not working and the relationship. And you've tried to make it work? Yeah. But nope. they, they were Canada's sweethearts. <laughs> they got married on Canada Day. 
So yeah, it just, it's just really funny. And, oh, and it's even funnier that it was the credits theme for the One Piece movie. Yeah, that's weird. You read the, the comments on that, on that, you, you read the comments on that YouTube video and it's just a bunch of One Piece fans. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I cried. Oh. I've never seen it. One Piece. I've I've seen like three episodes in my life. So, Eek. how you remind me was named the number one most played song on U.S. radio of the 2000s decade by Dang. Nielsen SoundScan, being spun over 1.2 million times on U.S. airwaves since its release in 2001 to the end of 2009. That's probably why I heard it so much. Yeah, the most played rock song of the 2000s. That's I'm gonna tear up. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> The song was ranked fourth on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs of the Decade and 75th on the UK Decade End Chart. And it was rated the number one rock song and number four alternative song of the decade of the 2000s by Billboard. Good job, Kroger's and friend. So, yeah, like when you say, what's a 2000s hit? This one. That one. Let's move on, though. <laughs> to an, uh, the song I like. We haven't been talking about this single song long enough. This song... The next song, I have very little to say. It's this a song I true. like the least. Yep. From the, the, the set we're going to talk about. <laughs> the cherry-picked songs. Also, it's the shortest. Uh, that song is called, Where Do I Hide? All right, I take, I take it back a little bit. Actually, I, I think that, that that riff's pretty cool. I knew it. Yeah, I was that, sitting here. It's like, I love this. This The reasons I picked this one is musicality, not lyrics. Yeah, well, that, the riff the riff reminds me a lot of Soundgarden, to be honest with you. So again, mm. they're co-opting the, the grunge sound. Yeah, uh, but What's-His-Face is working with them, right? Yeah, uh, the, the grunge pioneer. Yeah. But yeah, the, so it's like a pretty sweet riff, yeah. you know? And, and, and you're like, cool, this could go places. Then they got the, the lamest... Like just soulless lyrics you can think of. These, <laughs> the, the, what is this song about? I don't know. <laughs> it's about nothing. Like barely. Like, well, 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 read read the opening verse there because it's pretty <clears throat> easy to tell what this song is about. Uh, got a criminal record. Can't cross straight line. First on the bad list. You're last on mine. Looking for a scapegoat. Long past due. Walking down the aisle, staring straight at you. Got a criminal record. It's a song about a criminal. Yeah. Uh, some kind. Some kind of bad criminal. boy. <laughs> song called Bad It's a Bad Boy Song. This is the one he made it as a as a poor man stealing. No, it's a different character. <laughs> this is an observed character. So, like, can I tell you what this what Cr Chad Kroger said the song is about? Um yeah, because uh yeah, 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 cuz I really have four notes on this page. According to Chad Kroger, Where Do I Hide is about a friend of his who would bust out of prison all the time and go back to the band's hometown of Hannah, Alberta. Ooh, Alberta. It's just about a guy he knew that would <laughs> constantly get put in prison then break out wow so cool i don't want to say build bitter prisons because i <laughs> feel like that is not a thing we need in this world but mm. but like she's like i i got a criminal record i can't cross state lines I'm like all right so it's a man with a criminal record he's on probation yeah 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 i think the only thing that i think or i think the only thing that is 
not interesting about the lyrics, but like, oh, maybe this is something is uh, the second verse where it says, he said, she said, no, no, she don't be back before morning. You know, she won't. I remember last that summer, like yesterday. And I remember his mother as he was dragged away. I'm confused. Not sure what's happening. But the line that says, I remember that summer, like yesterday, I was like, oh, so is all of this kind of a like reminiscing, a reminiscing, like the reason uh, like is a song about how he pinned the crime, a crime on someone else, right? Like not just, oh, I've, I've gone back to like, he could have written it about like, oh, it's generally about this dude that keeps escaping and just going back to the place he gets picked up. Like they know where he's going, but like a crime is going to be committed, but we're going to pin it on someone else. And I remember when I did it, like, you know, I, I, I didn't get that at all. Well, to me, it just seems like a half-baked song. Like he didn't know what to sing about. He's just like, I, you know, I'm inspired by this guy I knew who had a criminal record. Uh, that's it. <laughs> you know, that's he, fair. I was like, he says, she said, no, she don't. You know, I'm like, what are you saying? Yeah, this, you're, you're you're saying nothing. I, I literally have a note here. It's like, what could this mean? <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. A whole lot of memories, yours, not mine. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And she said, no, she don't be back before morning. And you know she won't. Well, I remember that summer like yesterday. And I remember his mother as she was dragged away. I honestly feel like it means nothing. It's so incongruent with the rest of the song. It's gobbledygook. Yeah, the song lyrically, like, so this is the one I was saying, like, lyrically, uh, the song is like, whatever, but I really like the musicality of I this song. It. So that's one of the reasons I picked this one, uh, opposed to, like, other things on the list, but I was just like, I just like the, I like the guitar in this, and I don't normally, like, pick out things, or it's like, I like this for the music, okay, okay. the instrumental-ness. Well, there's one aspect of the lyrics that I thought was interesting. Give it to not good, just interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think it relates back to the the speaker of the song is remembering a moment, mm -hmm. and this is like almost like telling the tale, right, of someone else. Yeah, and it's like so the first the first verse is written in the like you know first, uh, first person. person. I can't cross state lines, so on, so on, right? And, and then in the chorus it says, "I still hear him screaming, where do I hide?" And all he asks, and I say. Hurry inside. So the speaker of the song Seems like at first it's like he's the bad boy, but then the speaker of the song is singing about the bad boy who's escaped from prison, and now he's an accessory to the crime. Uh, yeah, so, I can see that. Uh, uh, another another piece of evidence why I feel like this song is very messy and uneven. Yeah. I can't decide who the speaker is. Yeah, lyrically, it's not good. Is it the bad boy, or is it someone singing about the bad boy? And maybe helped him out on his way, you know, on his journey. Maybe it's multiple POV. <laughs> it's not clear, and it's it's funky. It's like it's so it's nothing 
This is the most bubble brain song. You, you <laughs> it is. It is pretty mm, not great. But, you know, play, play the kids a solo so they can see why I like it. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet solo. Yeah. And it's yeah. a shame they wasted it on this song. <laughs> instead of a stronger one. Again, I think it's purposeful, right? Where it's like, this song says nothing. I don't really want you to focus on the lyrics. I want you to hear the music. Look, you can do whatever you want. I that, think that, that, that's, that's like the, backwards thinking for music for a musician. It should like it should all come together and complement each no, other. No, 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 none so, of that. I'm gonna write bad lyrics so you pay more attention to the guitar solo. Absolutely, that doesn't make any sense. That's at all. exact. That's how. That's how all of the thing. Like I'm gonna make ugly clothing so you can pay attention to my clothing, not the model wearing it. No. That's how all of Fashion Week works. Gosh, that's really all I have to say about yep, where do same. I hide. Uh, Same. I'm going to hide from this song. <laughs> the next song we're going to talk about is uh, where we start getting into the serious subjects. Yeah. Uh, the, the the next couple songs have more to say than the previous one, but with varying degrees of effectiveness. Yeah. Starting off, another warning, kids. If you, have, uh, if you are triggered by domestic abuse, maybe skip this segment. Let's hear Never Again. Pretty strong riff, yeah. I'm say you know it's strong. It's starting out pretty, pretty rocking. Yeah. Um, what's this song about? Domestic abuse. <laughs> I'm not laughing. <laughs> um, the song is about. It literally is just about domestic abuse. It's about a man who beats his wife, uh, where his their child can see. It's and the song is sung from the perspective of the child. Yes. Yes, it is. So the first verse says, he's drunk again. It's time to fight. She must have done something wrong tonight. The living room becomes a boxing ring. It's time It's time to run when you see him clenching his hands. He's drunk again. It's time to fight. She must have done something wrong tonight. The living room becomes a boxing ring. It's time to run when you see him. little child watching his parents you know get into an altercation of some kind and uh father abusive yeah yeah even following that the very next verse i i hear her scream from down the hall amazing she can even talk at all she cries at me to go back to bed i'm terrified that she'll end up dead in his hands she cries to me go back to bed i'm terrified that she'll wind up Again, a lot of telling, not showing. 
Yeah. Very explicitly telling me what's going on. I, I, I could just like picture it in my head. Yeah. And, you know, like the, it, it, it seems very simple, straightforward. Yeah. Right? And like the, the subject matter on its face is serious stuff. Yeah. This is, this is, this can make you uncomfortable, you know, like mm-hmm. th- th- this, this is real life. Yeah. I'm this, honestly really surprised that this is a single. Yeah. This, yes, this was released as a single. <laughs> in fact, I believe, um, the other Kroger, <laughs> Mike Kroger fought for this to be the first single. Oh, wow. Instead of how you remind me. Huh? Yeah. So imagine this being the, you know, no <laughs> breakout hit for Nickelback. Mm-mm, it wouldn't have been <laughs> their second one would have, and it still would have been. This is how you remind me. But anyway, heavy subject matter on space. To me, this, it doesn't, it, it feels fake. Mm-hmm. It feels like the, the band who wrote this, have never experienced this in their lives. And they're just like trying to picture it in their heads. And like, they have no, like there's like no emotion or weight to the words of this song. It's just like very direct. It's like, it's drunk again. It's time to fight. I'm like, it's just like, you're just listing it off, you know, like where's the emotion, man. Yeah. Where's the torment from this child? Wow. I don't know. I'm like, wow. I I will say though, like right when I was going over these lyrics, it was making me think of Peruvian Skies, the song, the Dream Theater song from yeah. 1994. Yes, uh, and these are two things that are talking about the same topic, themes. I don't know what the word is. Yes, um, but handling it differently. Where I prefer this one because it is straightforward to the Peruvian skies one, because I was remember, I remember being in that that conversation being like, what is happening? It was a very cryptic song. Yeah. So if I had to choose between, right? Like I think things like this, I know this sounds really weird. I think when it comes to things that are, are those violences done upon people that we cannot, you know, abide. I prefer it to be straightforward and stuff. And that's that's a personal choice. Like, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, that you're like, it's just being shown. And I think, like, for things like this, um, I think because it's such a hidden, right? Like, child abuse is such a, or not child abuse, spousal abuse um, is such a prevalent thing that we don't talk about, that we don't, that we hide, that we stuff that, like, having it, just like, no, we're just saying it, I think does a lot more service than disservice to it um, as a topic. So that for me is one of the reasons why this works, right? I think there are moments in it that I'm like, uh, you know, no, <laughs> maybe not. But I also, you know, like I've never been in a, a relationship that's abusive. So I don't know what some of the thing, what it would look like, how it would feel and stuff like that. Though there, there are some things in here that I, I didn't like write down, but I did want to talk to you about, right? Like he's drunk again, it's time to fight she must have done something wrong tonight. The idea that like this happens often enough, often enough that we've got right. Like it's time to run when you see him clenching his hands. Right. I wrote like knowing the tell, right. There are a lot of tells that people have. You have tells like I can tell when you were like getting frustrated and angry, you're not going to hit me. We're not going to have a fight, but I know when to like, all right, it's time to back off. He's like ratcheted up to a point where like I need to leave him alone so that he can chill. Right. And you see the same things for me. The other day I looked at, <laughs> looked at you and you're like, all right, bye. <laughs> and like, we, we understand. Right. But for it to be one of those things where it's a nor- you know, right. Like, and this is something that 
from the people that I do know that have been in abusive relationships or have been raised in abusive households. It is one of those things. Like, like some things that like we don't necessarily take, uh, right? Because like the, she must've done something wrong tonight. And I wrote like, what is that? Because anything can set someone off, right? Like anyone, like I know people who grew up in abusive households with drunks that like when they put cups down, they make sure to rest it on their finger first so it doesn't clink. Because if there's noise, that's something that can set someone off. You know, like things like that where it's just kind of like, I I, I think it's done well that we're not like making this uh, a flowery language more like, literally she must have done something like what was it you know and not laying the blame on her but knowing that this is what's going to happen right and then the following verse following it up with just being like the kid being there right <laughs> and the the she the mother um yelling not trying to get away not just but yelling to protect the child right uh and i know that even when i was reading it again i was like the thought popped into my head and not trying to like shame or anger anyone, but it's just like, why do you like people stay? And I just cannot understand why, because I'm not in that, right? Like, I don't know what it's looked like to be more afraid to leave than it is to stay, you know, like in a place like that. But like being able to, to see that and to see even the flip side of the, the child, the child perspective of like terrified that you'll wind up dead. Like ah, being at it, I don't, I'm going to assume I don't know the child age, right? Like my brain always assumes younger. <laughs> uh, but like the idea that like, you know that death is an option. Like I'm terrified that she'll wind up dead at his hands, right? Um, but being unable to protect, unable to do anything, unable to step in. And even when you try to, you're yelled at to go back to bed, to like get out of the situation so that you aren't. So I think all this saying, right? Like, and there's even more as we go more into this. I think that it, it I'll just like lay them out, right? <laughs> um, as we're going deeper into the song, uh, we see we see it escalate in ways that like lead to, it shows that it's it doesn't just stay with the mother, that it gets transferred to the child, you know? Mm -hmm. And in seeing those things and seeing it just laid out as plainly as just like, yep, that's what's happening. Yeah, that is how it is. Like the I just the like you're you're sitting in front of a nurse and it's just like it feels very vignette because this is just something that happens all the time. Something that always and I again I think that that serves this song well. I can appreciate your perspective. <laughs> and you okay, I have a like you you said a lot there. I yeah, I'm sorry. Respond to, but you you one mentioned uh Peruvian Skies, which is a dream theater song that dealt with domestic abuse as well. Uh, those are both flawed songs. Yeah. Uh, Peruvian Skies was way too cryptic and messy. Mm -hmm. And we had no idea what we, we... We couldn't make heads or tails of it. Yeah. In my opinion, this song is extremely direct and almost like list-like. Mm -hmm. It's just listing off the events of a night, you know? It's just like... And like, you know, just kind of like very plainly straightforward explaining what is happening and it's like how i feel about it right as the speaker right mm -hmm. that is also to, in my opinion not very effective because i can't feel the emotion of the speaker or the song it's just like i guess he feels that way tonight <laughs> you know i'm like it's just very like dry right mm -hmm. there is a happy medium between those two extremes Okay, both both songs are flawed. This is a flawed song about spousal abuse because I don't feel 
the emotion of what should be a very heavy subject. Mm -hmm. um, and I tried to think of like songs that dealt with this theme way more effectively. And I can't think of one. Uh, I, ju I just don't encounter this theme very often in I, music. I do. <laughs> okay. Can you like list off some examples of like good songs well, that okay. deal with this? Like we have two different uh, ideas of <laughs> what a good song is, you know? So, or like what a good lyric is. So I don't know that like my idea will be good. And off the top of my head, I can't necessarily think of uh, if they are good. I'm thinking about a three door down song. Oh no, another one. Another post-grunge Hi, band. this is Wife. She listens to one kind of music and one kind of music only. So uh, Three Doors Down has a song called Sarah Yelling. And it's been a while since I've like listened to it, so I can't remember the, the tune and stuff. But I do think uh, it may be a little bit like more emotional, the thing that you're kind of looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, and the opening uh, verse is, she says I've got... Ugh, she says, I've got something to say. She knows that it will change everything. She laid through so many sleepless nights. She's crying. She's crying. She's crying. Mother, that man took my soul away. Father, how could you ever treat me this way? Brother, I won't ever let him do this again. This time it's over. I'm going to make it end. And that song ends in a similar way to this song ends, uh, to Never Again ends. But I think that because it's in the perspective of the abused for the entire time, mm -hmm. um, it maybe has that thing that you're looking for. Well, I'm like thinking about like, in, in, in never again, you get like, I'm terrified. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like the character sets that mm -hmm. it's like, you're terrified that your mom will end up dead by your father's hand. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you say it, but I don't hear the fear. I don't sense it. Yeah. So I feel it feels like it's like uncanny, right? Where and it doesn't even need to be fear that needs to be expressed, right? Like I've heard songs that deal with like problems with fathers, right? Like mm -hmm. fatherhood, and sometimes people have a difficult uh, relationship with their father, right? Maybe they have an abusive father. I'm thinking like Eminem songs deal with yeah his relationship with his dad. And his parents, his mm -hmm, mom, mm -hmm. you know, his mom, he had a, his mom had an abusive era. His mom was abusive mm -hmm. to him. Um, and there's anger. Yeah. Like you feel the just sometimes yeah. you just feel like this is unbridled rage, yeah. you know, or like an un an unresolved pain. Right, right, right. I get it. Through just like the vocals and some of the words used, right? I get no inkling of that in this song. It's okay. It's just way too matter of fact for me to believe that the speaker of the song is feeling this way or that the people who wrote this song knew anything about this subject and had any like credibility to write about it. Okay. I definitely hear what you're saying. Like I, I, I totally get that. It doesn't feel like this song is written, like from written in, from a place of knowing and trying to share that experience. Right. It's right. making me think of that song that we listened to by someone I want it. I we listen to a lot this. of. I almost want to say, well, not like in this vein, but I, I think it might have been Guns N' Roses, the song where somebody, the writer, had gone into a coma and he didn't want to wake up. Yeah, yeah, that was Guns N' Roses. Yeah, uh, and being able to sit, like, I remember reading those lyrics and going, like, 
I don't know what this is about, but this dude, this you dude is feel going the to, inner yeah, yeah. pain yeah. in him, you know, and that that's a good song because that's a song that's very metaphorical mm-hmm. in, in its its writing style. Right. What's the name of that song for the kids Co- were- coma by Guns and Roses off of Use Your Illusion One. We talked right. about that in our 1991 music episode. Right. <laughs> um, it is abstract, but is an emo- it is raw emotion. Mm-hmm. I like that in a song. Yeah. Right? Uh, it, 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 that's the thing. There's no right answer in that regard. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can have a straightforward song. To speak on that, um, there's an interview with rhythm guitarist Ryan Peake about this song. Mm-hmm. He said the song's directness was intentional. Quote, on this effort, being more direct was the way we wanted to go. The last album was very metaphoric and and for some people, very hard to understand. So they're trying to make the songs more easy. They're trying to make the songs easier to understand. Mm-hmm. I, I can get behind that yeah. in some regards. But here's the kicker. Of the subject matter, Peak said, quote, never again was not drawn from personal experience. Thank God. It is something that happens every day, unfortunately, and stories like that have to be told. Now, the question is, is this a story for them to tell, having no experience with that? Like, maybe they had good intentions, but all in all, from the tone of the song, the fact that it's very to the point, straightforward, no emotion behind it. It feels very exploitative. Mm-hmm. They are capitalizing in the truest sense. This mm-hmm. is a single for <laughs> like one of the best selling rock albums of the year, mm-hmm. you know, that was written to sell records in mind. It is a, it is a rock song capitalizing on the trauma of others, others that they have never even like reached out to or talked to. You know, it's like they have no, in my opinion, they have no business writing this song because they have not. It, it comes from, you know, no uh, personal experience. Mm-hmm. I I want to say, like, at so, on some level, yeah, I totally hear that. Right. Where it it, do, it is that. <laughs> but and it wasn't done perfectly. It, it wasn't right. No. But I, I think that, no, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't call it. What is the word that you use? Exploitative? Yeah. I wouldn't call it uh, solely exploitative, right? Because I think they're... When I think about... uh, The Chicks have a song called March that's about uh, Black Lives Matter. That's about a bunch of stuff. They're not black. So is it exploitative? They have it about saying uh, Gen Z is going to lead us because they're the only ones doing anything. Or is they're not a part of Gen Z? Are they exploited? Like, I think there's a line, right? Like, between... uh, exploitative uh and 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 allyship and i'm not saying that this is them being like never again is about allyship but i think that there is something to be said about um something to be said about the the mind of being like we want it we did want it to be straightforward because people were getting confused but also this is something that like in the line with what i was saying it was like i like that it is like this and not flowerly not trying to because it isn't it is very straightforward when you're in in these kind of relationships when you're in this kind of household when you're taking this day after day and i so i find like it forgivable in that 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 was their heart whereas when occasionally we talk about was it yellow card or somebody like that that like <laughs> made game songs they're like i don't care they're just some geeks i was trying to make oh, money we, yeah weezer wrote a yeah. song about going to best buy and buying video games even though uh rivers cuomo had never been to a best buy in his life he, he wrote it strictly to sound cool and hip that's the line that yeah now <laughs> you're right i'm like okay i think 
based on their intentions, I would not describe this song as exploitative. Yeah. But it appears exploitative. Okay. Now, I think what separates a song that appears exploitative and one that just so, you know, isn't, it depends on, like, bringing in the experiences of others. Mm -hmm. If the Dixie Chicks wrote songs about Black Lives Matter and the movement, um, and they drew from other people's experiences talked to people, got to know the people in the movement and wrote a song from, the, you know, trying to speak for them. I think that separates a song where they just, they tr just tried to put words in other people's mouths and tell a story that wasn't theirs without considering the real experiences of people. Two points to that. One, completely agree. I absolutely 100%. Two, it's 2001. They're the chicks. <laughs> Don't call them. Did where they're about to have a falling out with Dixie? That happens. In, that happens. <laughs> oh, that happens in two thousand like five, I think. How dare you call them the Dixie Chicks? Sorry, well, they're still the Dixie Chicks today <laughs> in my heart. <laughs> they are chicks, my guy. All I'm anyway. Okay. Yeah. Like no, the, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. And to you know to kind of like support all that, the third verse sounds like. This was written by someone who's heard about domestic abuse and watched movies about it, but have no idea of the actual ins and outs of it. Third verse. Just tell the nurse you slipped and fell. It starts to sting as it starts to swell. She looks at you. She wants the truth. It's right out there in the waiting room with those hands, yada, yada. Yeah. Just tell the nurse you slipped and fell. It starts to sting as it starts to swell. She looks at you. She wants the truth. It's right out there in the way. Like the doctor asking the victim, oh, what happened to you? What where'd you get this black eye? I fell down the stairs. Right? That's such a stereotypical. A, a tropey thing to say. Mm -hmm. It just seem that makes it seem fake. Yeah, I will also say that this is the moment that it switches from the abuse of the the spouse, the the woman, to the abuse of the child. Right. So yeah. in my like, I that's how I read it. Right. So tell the nurse she slipped and fell. She looks at you. She starts to. Well, I assume that. The oh, oh. Yeah. So like, like that's what it is. And the mom and the nurse is like looking at you at the child. Uh, because I hear her scream from down the hall that she, yeah. So she, so it's always her, her, her. So when it's you, the, the words are not making indicative, like using she, right? Like the nurse is looking at her, the nurse is looking at you. Right. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I, I, so this is, so I think that this is an important part, like not just about like, oh, abuse, but in the, the, in the arc of the story, because at the end, uh, and I even wrote this down, right? Like, this is where it flips where the, the woman, and this is also where it becomes, it's still a little unrealistic, unfortunately. Like, this doesn't happen all the time. Um, this switch happens, and then the next verse is like, the woman's had enough. Like, she's like, yeah, you can do it to me all day long. Touch my child. And it's going to end different. Okay. I, I'm rereading that verse, and I, I feel a little bit more of it. But, like, you know, it's sort of like the mom is insisting that the child, like, you know, just, just lie. Like, you know, it's trying to, like, cover up the actions of her husband like just lie say you fell down that's what that's why you're hurt okay i feel that but the fact that i couldn't glean that from listening to the song i think tells me there's a problem with just like just tone and songwriting you know mm -hmm. it's just very like 
it's very dry and monotonous. You know, this, this feels like just a dry list of things as opposed to like, you know, uh, an expression of emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, it, a subject matter that necessitates emotion. You want more pain in this. Yeah, I do. I, I, feel, I need to feel it. And that's fine. I totally get that. I still, this is still one of my favorite songs on the album. Uh, as we can tell, <laughs> we've fighting a lot. This this is a very fighty uh, uh, segment. Just the whole time, it's like you're gonna go for me. Go ahead. Nickelback's we're gonna fight about one of. I think we kept saying it. I was like, we're gonna fight. Like yeah. this is one of my favorite bands. Like it's it's an it's a, it's it's an episode where this is where I'm just not gonna agree with you. It's well, an episode where we're gonna split the difference at the end. I want you to hear, kids. I'm not giving up. <laughs> Come on. Uh, I want you to hear right now. My album is better. I haven't even listened to yours yet. That, that's all I have to say about <laughs> uh, Never Again. It's you don't like me, it. It's just not effective. I, yeah. I I think it falls short. Like I'm like, hey, I I can I can get behind their intentions. Like, hey, I want we want to tell this story. It's an important. I was like, I agree with them. This is an important story to tell. Uh -huh. it's, it's important to shed light on these issues. You they just, didn't do it you well. failed, man. Like you just didn't do it right. That's fair. I mean, and I get you that, right? There's definitely like stuff we talk about often. It's like, ooh, I really liked, <laughs> I liked the idea, but the output, yeah. <laughs> was not up to. And and compared to the next song we'll talk about, where I can feel emotion, like I can feel like this is coming from a real place, from the heart. Yeah, this is action. never again has no heart. Yeah, um, yeah. Next song though. The next song is my favorite on the album. And I, again, can't, I cannot understand why it was a single. Actually, I understand this one more than Never Again, but. What is that song? Too Bad. song sounds more 2001 than anything else we've listened to today like this <laughs> one's this so song. 2001 it's too bad <laughs> uh man what, what is this song about lost dreams and broken families yeah <laughs> yeah uh it's definitely it's definitely about a, a one's one's troubled relationship with their father yep like it's it's very Done. this is one where it's like straightforward not a problem he told mm -hmm. me it's true but there are elements of the song where it's like man i, I feel it it's like yeah i i it connects mm -hmm. with me emotionally where it's like, I understand the relationship with the speaker and their father. You know, it's like, I, it's like unspoken, you know, it's just like the way it's the words used, the tone used, the music all coming together to kind of sell. Yeah. What it is. Yeah. You know, that's being expressed. Absolutely. Uh, before we hop in, if you are directly related to me, this episode's done. You can skip to the second half. <laughs> Nobody in my family should listen to the rest of this or anything I have to say. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, you heard the opening verse there. Father's hands are lined with dirt from long days in the field. Mother's hands are serving meals in a cafe on Main Street. Just trying to keep clothing on our backs. And all I hear about it is how it's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah. So, so you know, it sets the stage, right? A little bit more. Still some telling. Yeah. Not showing. <laughs> mm. But... Very effective. Yeah, so, I was like, he's singing with super setting. He's, the scene. he's got yeah, he's got like a bluesy 
tone, you know, mm-hmm. almost like a country western. So it's, you know, I, I can understand. Like country western, yeah. sometimes they tell a lot more than they show. It's got that radio effect on it for the first, <laughs> that staticky, like, yeah. Yeah. So mono, I don't know what it's called. Setting the stage. I, I'm going to forgive it a little bit, you know, because I feel like the tone is kind of carrying the weight. Yeah. Um, but, you know, down on their luck, trying to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how it's so bad. It's relatable. It's yeah. so relatable. I have Christmas amounts of notes on this. <laughs> Yeah, so just the setting of the first verse, as you can hear, but it goes directly into the um, chorus. So I'm just gonna read the first few lines, the first two lines before the chorus, and then go through the chorus. Uh, With mouse feet, just trying to keep clothing on our backs, and all I hear about it is how it's so bad. It's so bad. It's too bad. It's too bad. It's too late. So wrong. So long. It's too bad. We had no time to rewind. Let's walk. Let's talk. That was a lot, but upon like i like seeing this song with my gut <laughs> when it comes on i love this song but looking at the lyrics while we're, while we're pulling it up the end of that verse into the chorus just all i hear about it is how it's so bad <laughs> i couldn't help but just the thought of like all the kids are hearing from somewhere is how it's so bad because they're here because kids change plans right like it's talking about it's too late it's so wrong, so long. It's too bad because we have no time to rewind. We have no time to talk, to walk. We can't do it, right? And the idea that like, oh, well, I got pregnant early and you decided that you had to do the right thing and we got married and we got stuck in this town. And I mean, what do you do when you're married and you have a kid? You probably have another one because you're already in a convenient relationship. And that that changes everything, right? Like my the father's hands are lined with dirt. Who knows what he wanted to do before? Like, and it's a whole, so- like not the whole song is about it, but a good portion, especially this first part is framing this like, dad is always working outside, mom's always working inside because of us. Mm. And all I hear is how it's bad, how finances are bad, how the city is bad, how the house is bad this is a thing that kids hear you know like this is a thing that like and so mm. (laughs) like devil's advocate right like Mm. the more cynical version of me like if if you asked me you know rodney of 2007 when he's you know complaining about nickelback on picto chat right (laughs) and had him listen to this song it's like that chorus is so lame He's not saying anything. He just, mm-hmm. he's just, it's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah. You know, like, you know, make it's like, it's easy to say it's so bad, you know? Like, yeah. What else is there to say? You know, like, stop complaining. Yeah. Right. But you did a good, that's the thing. I, I feel like I recognize now that sometimes that simple, that simplicity mm-hmm. can be effective on its own, right? Just kind of like the repetition the uh the shortness you know it, it's sort of the almost like mumbling right like rambling yeah, you know? yeah. uh and it's sort of like jumbled up like it, it sells the confusion and the um i don't know the cyclical nature of like yeah. being, being in this troubled uh uh environment yeah and it, it feels like that thing where, where you're like i can say nothing else like yeah when you see someone in grief and you, all you can say is i'm sorry and you don't want to say that but every time you open your mouth i'm sorry comes out right yeah. like and it's, and like it's just it's bad it's self-fulfilling bad. prophecy mm. right and so it's like i think here the directness is that it's most effective because i feel like the song is built around those feelings yeah whereas the directness of the other songs are just kind of empty yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> 
And I think like as the song goes on, right, the second, probably the second verse. Second verse is pretty strong. Yeah. The second, yeah. It is super strong. And I think that, I don't want to say it resonates with me the most because I'm looking down at my notes and I have a lot more notes past this, but <laughs> I wrote things that resonate with me, but then I kept going lower. I was like, ooh, ooh, I had to change my pen color. Re, re, uh, yeah, um, so the second, yeah, you want to read it? Uh, you left without saying goodbye, although I'm sure you tried. You called the house from time to time to make sure we're alive, but you weren't there right when I needed you the most. And now I dream about it and how it's so bad. It's so bad. So I can't relate. I have a great relationship with my dad. My dad was always it's, there. Okay. You know, like he's very, uh, you, know, stay, you know, him and my mom stayed together, obviously. But hearing stories about my dad's relationship with his dad, mm -hmm. I can picture my dad in the role of this speaker, mm -hmm. right? Because he's told me stories about how his dad, you know, would just obviously, you know, they separated my grandma and my grandpa. Yeah. And then... My grandpa would like only, you know, only, you know, stumble into town, I don't know, a year at a time, you know, mm -hmm. once a year or something like that. And my dad's telling stories about how he would get so excited to know, oh, my dad's going to visit. We're going to go go to mm -hmm. a Fourth of July parade or we're going to do this. And then his dad just not showing up, that yeah. day, you know, and just disappoint, like a constant string of disappointments yeah. where it's like, you know, you. I, the disappointment my dad, you know, my dad's a pretty like, you know, reserved, you know, emotionally uh, aloof person. <laughs> um, I, I still like recognize the, the disappointment, the pain, yeah. the residual pain, you know, the scars of that type of relationship with one's father. Yeah. Uh, and I recognize it in this song, which tells me that there this comes from the heart. Mm -hmm. This song comes from a place of... Uh, Authenticity. Yeah. Which is true. Yeah. Uh, the song was inspired by Chad Kroger's childhood. Mm -hmm. He said, quote, too bad is a story that kind of stemmed from the fact that my father left when I was about two and a half and Mike was about four and just not getting to develop a relationship with your father until you're in your teens. Yeah. Which I think is a pretty common struggle for people. You know, like I, I've, I have friends, I have, you know, uh, I, a lot of like family members who, mm -hmm. who have a similar relationship with their dad. Yeah. Um, and so I think this resonates with a lot of people. Yeah. I think it absolutely resonates with me as, as I've talked about before, my parents are divorced. Um, and I think that there's a, a lot of things that are very authentic, <laughs> you know, in these lyrics, I think, uh, the, and, and I, I love it also because even though the choruses are mostly the same, uh, the verses between them make the choruses say something. Yeah, different, yeah. Right. So like the second, the second verse, the things that like really stick with me is you left without saying goodbye, although I know you tried but you weren't there right when I needed you the most, right? And I want to come out with saying um, <clears throat> there was a rough patch. I did not have a great relationship with my dad. 
<laughs> um, for a couple of years after he left. But uh, I we were able to patch up our relationship and it being better as I was an adult and able to like respond to him as an adult uh, with maturity. And that was a lot that was helpful. But I think during this time, right, like when my when my dad left, like he said goodbye to me. <laughs> Seriously, family, don't listen to mm. this. Um, he said goodbye to me, but that's only because like of who I am, right? Like I remember the night and then the day that he was packing up and he was leaving that my mom was in the house. Both of my sisters were in the house refusing to see him. And I felt bad about that. So I went out to the garage and I think that, uh, not I think. So I went out to the garage as he was leaving and he held me really, really tight, you know, and he was crying because he didn't have it in him to go inside. Mm. Right. Like, so this thing where it's like, I don't, I, you left without saying goodbye though. I know you tried, like I could tell, like even at, at that point I was 18 and my sisters are both younger than me. Right. Like, um, I, I could see it in the, like, he didn't feel like he was allowed to cross back into that house, right? And me coming out was a really big thing <laughs> for him, right? And then the line following that, but you weren't there right when I needed you the most. Uh, and now I dream about it and how it's so bad. And going, and this is how it changes the chorus because it goes into the chorus as we know it. And then it's too bad that we had no time to rewind. Let's walk, let's talk. And it's too late, so wrong, so long. And it makes me think about like growing up during that time, like leaving for college and knowing that my dad wasn't there, right? Gosh, 2001, why are we talking about all these things? He wasn't there again, but for this time it was for a different choice, right? And then my mom was left alone again, but I wasn't there to step into the gap. And my sisters were there alone in a much different way um, with my dad being nearer and being able to visit but not you know yeah and a lot of that stuff where we couldn't rewind it there was no time like that it was gone and this idea that it's too late it's so wrong like the way we pass our shortcomings on to our families like through our actions and our inactions and how when we drop responsibilities they have to be picked up by someone right and i think that that was a time in my life where I had to do a lot. I had to do a lot of growing up in very specific ways, even though I was away from the house, right? Like having a, another person. And I'm not saying I'm a savior or anything like that. And that my mom didn't do amazing things and that my sisters didn't buckle up the way that they needed to. But there was a lot of stuff like looking back, right? That I was like, this is not how it's supposed to be, right? That this changes so many things, you know? And then we go into... The final verse. Yeah, uh, third the, the the rare third verse. <laughs> that goes that shows me that Chad Kroger had more to say on this topic <laughs> than any of the other songs. He had more to speak on because he had a third verse. Yeah. I feel like he just gives up <laughs> if he has nothing more to say. Mm -hmm. This one he went for it. For sure. And oh the things to say. What, uh, what is the third verse? The third verse is Father's hands are lined with guilt for tearing us apart. Guess it turned out. In the end, just look at where we are. We made it out. We still have clothing on our backs. And now we scream about it and how it's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. All the sands lined with guilt for tearing us apart. Guess it turned out.
So he's still not okay. No. <laughs> but I think that this is one of those things that hit me the most. I've got notes. <laughs> it hit me the most because I think about um, this idea of being like, because I hear it not as much as I, I used to because people don't necessarily know my situation as much and my situation has changed. I'm an adult <laughs> and my relationships are good, but I would get a lot like, you're so well-adjusted. Like you're so this, and I hate the term well-adjusted. I hate it because it doesn't mean that you're, you're good, that you're okay, right? It just means that you found a way to balance against the opposition in your life that is tolerable to the people around you. And that's not a thing that happens for everyone. That's not a thing, right? Like where we, how I wear my trauma is like palatable to the people around me. <laughs> and that's all that means being well-adjusted, right? Because we all have some different kinds of traumas and how we react to different things. And we call it well-adjusted. <laughs> mm. We call it like something that it, it not necessarily is. And this is that thing, right? Like the father's hands are lined with guilt for tearing us apart. The father knows right? Knows what he did, understands, and is holding it rather than pushing it away, right? It, like, it humanizes the father. It I think does. It, this song, I think, is way more emotionally intelligent mm -hmm. because it's, 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 it's showing, not telling. <laughs> like, I am, you know, just through the words and just, like, allowing the speaker to get into the head of the father, mm -hmm. I, f I feel that character is more flushed out. And, yeah. You know. Uh, Real. Yeah, humanized. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that like it's one of those things that you know only after having reached adulthood, right? And only after having been in any kind of relationship your yourself and knowing like sometimes it's hard to stay. Like I'm not going to leave you, right? Unless you do something terribly. And you're not going to leave me for the same thing, you know, like unless like one of we, we got we got deal breakers in our, our if we reach any of those, that's a deal break. But like when you're dating, when you're doing stuff, you're like, I'm in this relationship and I feel like a jerk for leaving because they still care more about me than I care about. But I just got to go knowing that like on a non-committed level, when you don't have kids together, when you don't have a marriage between you, like you can see, I see how hard it was. I see that that was a choice that you made and it affected everyone but I can understand what would push you to that, that, that place. And you can only reach that kind of understanding after having lived some, right? Like after having met your parent as an adult and meet them face to face, right? But that doesn't take it out, right? Like, because even as this thing where like, I understand you, right? Like it's saying like, we made it out. Look at, look where we're at. We had clothing on our backs. We're in another, we're in a, we're in a place. It sucked, but we we were able to adjust. But the line going into the chorus here is like, I'm not over it, right? I yeah. still scream about it. Like, it's in my longest song. It's a thing that I have to address in all of my relationships. Mm -hmm. It's a thing that like I can't see in my media because it was so bad and we had no, you know, like. Yeah. There's there's closure, but there isn't like the the forgiveness. Yeah, the he, the <laughs> the scars aren't erased. Yeah. You know, they're just healed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you, you, you nailed it. You know, <laughs> I can't disagree with anything you said. You I think it's not. the strongest song lyrically and emotionally. It's mm -hmm. the one with the most to say. Um, and I, I just want to also say that the way Chad Kroger sings it mm -hmm. brings a lot of that emotion yeah. because he's feeling it. Like yeah. he, he, 
he is allowing himself to express the words of the speaker because it's him, mm -hmm. right? And it would be like, imagine if he sang this song the exact same way he sang too bad, uh, no, never, uh, again. never again, right? Mm -hmm. If he, the second verse sounded like, you left without saying goodbye, although I'm not sure you tried, you know, like yeah. if it was just like very matter of fact, listing out the, the emotions, you know, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it would not hit the it, same. It wouldn't hit the same. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, it would not whip. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so when you're telling a story in a song, it needs mm -hmm. to be all encompassing. It's, it's more than just the word set. It's the tone. It's the, uh, uh, musicality, the way everything comes together. Yeah. And I feel like this song nailed it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I still don't like the genre. I don't like the nest. I don't necessarily yeah. like the sound of this song. But I recognize that it is strong. Yeah. It's effective. It is very effective. And I think that is all we have to say about Silver Side Up. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> would you recommend yes. it? Okay, here's the thing. I had a hard time picking which songs I wanted to listen to because a good portion of them do feel a little bit like... Um, where do I hide? Where do I hide? Yeah. A good portion of the songs do have that where do I hide feel like hangnail has it as well and i was just like oh i don't it's just really like, like hey it. here's a, here's a here's a straight song about this one thing yeah and we don't have very much to say about that one thing. yeah yeah and so or like hollywood too and i was just like uh they're not like this is not my favorite album by them right like it's just not um you pick but, some meteor songs but like the weakest song we talked about is more representative of the album yeah as a whole yeah yeah and that's why i say no, I do not recommend this. It's like, I would say listen to the singles if this is your type of music. Like yeah. If you like, I feel like everyone, everyone already knows the answer. Do you like Nickelback or not? And if you don't like Nickelback, skip it. <laughs> all of it. Just skip all of it. If you do like Nickelback, only listen to the singles. <laughs> That's fair. Because I do like Nickelback and it's really, it really is the singles for me. What did the world think? That it was amazing and it was just what we needed in September of that year. All three singles from Silver Side Up, we talked about all three, mm -hmm. reached number one on the U.S. Billboard Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. Hey. That was a sign of things to come as the album itself reached number one in Canada, Austria, Ireland, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom. Get it back, Nickel. However, it only peaked at number two in the Billboard 200. Two is good. Yeah, two is good. With over 8 million copies sold worldwide by 2002, Silver Side Up was certified eight times platinum in Canada, six times platinum in the U.S., and three times platinum in the U.K. Get it. But despite its commercial success, Silver Side Up received a mixed response from critics. <laughs> Entertainment Weekly, for example, called the band, quote, stunningly derivative, combining, quote, steroid riffage with a radio-friendly dose of saccharin with, quote, just enough macho bluster to win over Mook Nation. So this is an album from Mooks. I'm a Mook. <laughs> it's like stunningly derivative describes a lot of these songs. <laughs> Considering their structure, they're all mm, the same. Fine. They're all the same. Nickelback doesn't change. Yes, they do. <laughs> all music was a fan, praising the band's, quote, intensity and raw passion. And it's, quote, brand of dark high octane rock and comparing the band to other rock acts of the day they said quote nickelback ups the ante by offering realistic storytelling that listeners can relate to i think that's half true i think they did good 
Rolling Stone, meanwhile, said, quote, Nearly every song seems trapped in the amber of early 90s Seattle aesthetics, the sonic equivalent of too many unfortunate goatees. <laughs> there was a lot of goatees during this time. There was, there was at least three goatees in this band. Continuing, quote, the band delivers its sound professionally, but if you're looking for originality, you might want a full refund instead of a Nickelback. <laughs> oh, they, they thought they were witty. How You Remind Me earned Nickelback five Billboard Music Awards and one Juno Award, as well as nominations at the Grammys, the American Music Awards, the Kerrang Awards, and the Q Awards. Too Bad, meanwhile, earned the band an MTV Video Music Award and two Much Music Video Awards. I didn't like the music video. I don't. I didn't see it. Yeah, I don't. I remember seeing it forever ago and being like, mm, the song's too good for this crap music video. And Silver Side Up earned the band three additional Juno Awards over the next few years. Okay. So it was received very well. <laughs> yeah, you know, in some, was, in some circles. Only the circles that mattered. And where did Nickelback go from here? Well, to support Silver Side Up, the band embarked on a world tour alongside post-grunge contemporaries, Three Doors Down, Default, and others. And others? I've never heard so of that Three band. Doors Down, post-grunge. And you, yes. You also love Three Doors Down. You've I mentioned do. them. Uh, yes. Default. No. Do you remember where you heard them? I don't remember. They wrote the song that we closed the first segment of our last episode with. Oh! The song from Life is a House that I said <laughs> sounded like the most 2001 song of all time was written by Default. Well. And here's the kicker. Default were... Like a pro, like a pet project of Chad Kroger. Huh. He, like, I think maybe discovered them and mentored them and wrote all of their songs. Well, so that song that we went out with on Life as a House was written by Chad Kroger. This is just gonna be a nickelback. We're gonna, we're gonna close with a nickelback song on our TV episode, too. Can't escape nickelback. The band released their first DVD live at home in 2002. And they followed Silverside up with a string of successful albums over the next few years. But that's a story for a different day. Is it? Yes. We're not done with Nickelback. Maybe one day we'll come back. Are we not? One day we'll get a Nickelback. But that's the end of our first segment. So Wasn't it amazing? If you're not Didn't a fan you of Nickelback, every second? if you're not a fan of Nickelback, maybe you'll be a, f a fan of my music. Probably not, but <laughs> we'll see. It's... We'll get into it. It's not It's not music for everyone. Um, you decide. What are we going to close this segment out with? Mm, a song. Let's close out with Good Times Gone. Good it, Times Gone? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's still within. It's in the like the realm, like I said, of where do I hide? But, you know, it's a song that closes the album. So let's uh, close the segment right, with it. So we're going to close out with the song Good Times Gone. And we'll be back after the break with my album of 2001. There's more next.
collection includes the smash hits photograph far away how you remind me and rockstar the best of nickelback volume one available at walmart We are back with the self-titled track from my album of 2001. Um, it's somehow still very hot in our apartment, even though the air conditioner has been running at full blast for an hour. Hey, kids. It's Jess. I want to interrupt Rodney's complaining about the heat to tell you now that I have, in fact, listened to the songs that we're about to talk about, and my album does win. So <laughs> Stop that. When we get to the end of this, I want you to hear... I will. I'll be standing firm. I'll be standing firm. I'll be standing firm. Uh, well, anyway, we've we've dimmed the lights, made it nice and moody for this nice and moody album. To uh, match my mood. What is that album? Released March 12, 2001, the fifth studio album in so-called magnum opus of this Swedish progressive death metal band that is Blackwater Park by Opeth. This is their magnum opus? Yeah, this magnum opeth. Boo! <laughs> I hope I clipped. Full disclosure, opeth is like the final boss of music. Oh my gosh. It's like, it, it's it's not for everybody. It is an acquired taste. It's black licorice, the music. <laughs> I will not be acquiring this taste. <laughs> I love it, and uh, I, I have a lot to praise about it, and you'll be surprised that this is a very well-regarded album in its genre. I'm not surprised by that. But Opeth, uh, you ever heard of Opeth before? Yes, from you. Remember? <laughs> I think it was because of this project, right? Yes, absolutely. I remember we were going through the, the, the list of albums in 2001, and we get to Opeth, and I was like, yeah, that's probably it. And I looked at you and you said, you're not gonna like it. <laughs> And I knew I wasn't gonna like uh, Silver Side Up, so you know this is just the al- this is just the episode where no one you know likes the other person's album. You found stuff to like about mine. You liked mine. You'll you'll like. I I hope you'll like stuff from Blackwater Park. No, you appreciate it, respect no, it. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be just very contrary this time. Crossing my arms right now, kids. So uh, Opeth is a as I said a Swedish progressive death metal band. Like we've talked to progressive. Metal and progressive rock before. Dream mm. Theater being my favorite band, of course. Um, but this is on a whole nother level. This is not just progressive metal. It's death metal. Death metal has a particular sound that I totally understand. It's not for everybody. In fact, if I had like discovered this album or heard it like five years before I did, you know, or even two years before I actually did, I probably wouldn't have liked it either. <laughs> um I think to tell like how I discovered Opeth, I should probably go back in time, like the early 2000s, this era, you know, 2001. Mm -hmm. My older sister was living with us, right? right? And she was really into different metal acts of the day, right? Uh, Kill Switch Engaged, Lamb of God, Linkin Park, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, she liked all that stuff, and I would hear it through her. Yeah. And anytime they growled or screamed, I didn't like it. <laughs> I did. I, I did not like heavily distorted vocals. Right. I liked clean vocals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fr- uh, from my dad, I started to call it angry white boy music. <laughs> You know, so that was my like point of reference. It's like, I don't like angry white boy music. Um, and then once I got to high school, I was exposed to the phrase screamo. Oh, yeah. Which is a subgenre of uh, hardcore punk. So when you hear when you have when you hear the uh, the suffix core in in music, mm-hmm. metal core, uh, grind core, <laughs> uh, <laughs> horror core. Yeah, it's general. That suffix relates to hardcore punk. Oh, uh, but anyway, I, I didn't know that. I don't know the history behind it. So I thought whenever I heard screaming of any kind and growling, it was screamo. It's screamo. Same. So if I had heard Opeth here in 2006 or something, I would have thought I don't like that screamo. <laughs> and I would have I would assume that the members of Opeth would consider that an insult <laughs> to be called screamo. Probably. But yeah, I- yeah. And and now you know I'm older. I understand the different like how the different genres intersect, and you know the differences between them. This is very much not has no basis in punk, right? Mm-hmm. Screamo has a basis in punk music, right? When when guys would scream in their punk music, but then death metal and uh, black metal, those those types of gro- growls and opeth, that's not screaming like you would hear in hardcore punk. There is a crossover genre called metalcore that mixes hardcore punk with metal, but that's different. I I feel like we're talking apples and apples. Look, I'm sorry for anyone listening to this, kids. I am I am not I am not the one that's music, but it sounds the- like we're talking Gala and Pink Ladies and Fuji. They're all apples. I'm saying you You're saying there's different. I'm saying Opeth is not a day to remember. Okay. They are two very different genres. Got it. But to the uninitiated, like I was in the mid-2000s, I would have thought they they were the same genre, Mm. but they're not. Yes. Anyway, so luckily I discovered Opeth further into my music uh, uh, growth, Mm -hmm. (laughs) maturity. Um, I discovered Opeth. Want to take a guess how I, like an association with another musical act? Was it Dream Theater? Yes. (laughs) So in 2009, Dream Theater, my favorite band, uh, was headlining a tour they put together called Progressive Nation. Mm-hmm. And it was them touring with other progressive rock bands around the world. And they had two legs. They had the U.S. leg and the European leg. Mm-hmm. I went and actually saw Progressive Nation in the U.S., Los Angeles. And at that time, they were co-headlining with Zappa Play Zappa, which is Dweezil Zappa. The son of Frank Zappa playing his dad's music. Yeah. In Europe, on the other hand, Dream Theater was co-headlining with Opeth. Ah. So in learning about that, I was like, oh, who's these Opeth folks? You know, I I see I should look into them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I believe Blackwater Park was the first album that I listened to by Opeth uh, because it was regarded as their best. So I listened to it and like, yeah, there's it's definitely an acquired taste. This is not the kind of music I generally like listen to in, but there's something so art. This is like the most artful metal music you'll ever listen to. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it, it, it's like the, there's something about the mood they set and, and like the, just the sounds that everything, everything comes together to be a very moody, dark, sur- like 
And when I say like dark, like not angsty dark, you know, mm -hmm. like edge core dark. It's like, no, this is like super moody in a very like dark surrealist painting kind of way. Right. Right. It's, it's very artful. And I think that, I don't know, it appealed to me because I, I love like dark surrealist paintings. Um, you like dark souls. Th there is a, this is the <laughs> dark souls of music. <laughs> Opeth is the dark souls of music because they, they share a bleakness. Right. Um, and like a very like oppressive, like, uh, atmosphere, you know? Um, and it's, it's just like, unlike anything I'd ever heard before. And so I, I, I like it. I like Opeth and I like, uh, a lot of their albums, you know? Kids, we're going to put a poll up. Uh, it's just going to be, did Rodney sell you Opeth by talking about how dark and we'll, we'll, and once broken. we like, we're going to, we're going to sample some tracks. We're going to talk about these. These songs. Now, I want to know if he sold you right now on that ridiculous description. It's just the end of times and everything sucks. I Those didn't, I didn't say any words. of those things. <laughs> At the end of the segment, I will say whether or not I recommend Opeth. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll get there, though. But first, we need to talk about who, who are Opeth and where did they come from? 1989, Stockholm, Sweden. Death metal vocalist David Isberg who had played in a handful of unsuccessful bands in the preceding years, formed Opeth with a group of friends. Oh, wow. So Opeth was the original name. Yep. The name Opeth. What was, does it mean? It was derived from Opet, the name of a fictional Phoenician city in the 1972 South African novel, The Sunbird. Cool. I don't know anything about The Sunbird, but that's where it came from. At least we know these kids were well-read. The following year, Isberg approached friend Michael Ackerfeldt, then guitarist and vocalist of his own death metal band called Eruption, about joining Opeth as a bassist. Yeah, anyway, if you if there are any Opeth fans out there, you're like, oh, I know who Michael Ackerfeldt is, <laughs> because that's the Opeth guy. <laughs> when Ackerfeldt showed up to practice, it became clear that Isberg had not told the other band members, including the band's current bassist, that Ackerfeldt would be joining the band. An ensuing argument led to all members but Isberg and Ackerfeldt leaving the band. That was... I should also mention that they were all like 15, 16 years old. Okay. So I think that makes it a little bit more uh, believable. Understandable. Not yeah. that it was good, no. but I was like, what What kind of business are you running, son? Eliminate Stan, apparently. They are teenage metalheads having teenage metalhead spats. Well, I just thought the best way to fire you without, you know, feeling bad about it was to just bring your replacement. <laughs> Acrofell, uh, he did an interview that I watched like... Uh, it was like a Wikipedia fact or fiction segment, you know, where like, did this actually happen? He goes, yeah, I showed up and it was clear that I was not wanted. And I was told to wait outside while the rest of the band talked things over. And then they all walked away and left me and David. Wow. Some of that is like, it makes me think of the first episode of News Radio where it's just like, hi, you're hired. The first thing I need you to do is fire this guy who has your job currently. <laughs> Opeth would experience a revolving door of musicians as Isberg and Ackerfeld sought to fill out the lineup. One particular episode occurred after Opeth's first performance, which Ackerfeld reportedly described as, quote, probably the worst appearance one could have witnessed when the new bassist and guitarist immediately left the band. Wow. It was so bad that they just like, we're done. You're like, I, I don't want to be involved in this. In 1992, founder David Isberg left the band. Oh, Okay citing creative differences. It was his band. Yeah. 
I don't know what creative differences mean, but yeah. This left Ackerfelt to take over lead vocalist and lead guitarist duties. He has acted as Opeth's frontman and chief songwriter ever since. All right. Windfall, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they're at this point, like three years into its formation, no original members of this band <laughs> remained. It's just Ackerfeld. <laughs> yeah, he's now the Chad Kroger of All right. Opeth. Get it, Opeth Chad. By the time Opeth recorded their first album, Orchid, in 1994, the band's lineup included Ackerfeld, Peter Lindgren on guitar, Jonah DeFarfalla on bass, and Anders Norden on drums. That album demonstrated Opeth's core sound, which blended traditional death metal with non-traditional elements like guitar harmonies, acoustic guitars, piano, and clean vocals. Uh, we talked a little bit about death metal in our 1995 music episode when we talked Arion. Yeah. Death metal and black metal were two uh, popular subgenres of heavy metal coming out of the European scene. You know, so uh, death metal was very popular all throughout Europe and throughout the 90s, it started to iterate and be and like it kind of branched out into a bunch of different subgenres, mm -hmm. you know, uh, mixing many different types of music with death metal. And Opeth is just a, an example of that. Yeah. This iteration of Opeth recorded one more studio album, 1996's Morning Rise and toured Europe and the UK. In 1997, Ackerfeld and Lindgren dismissed Jonah De Forfalla from the band for personal reasons without the consent of Anders Norden. When Norden did find out, he too left the band citing personal reasons. Oh my gosh. It's a it's it's, it, it's the curse. It's just going to be a thing. Every 3 years. It's like it's like the uh professor of the dark arts oh position at Harry Potter in yeah, uh, yeah. Hogwarts. That once again left Opeth without a bassist and a drummer. Ackerfeld Lindgren placed ads in various music shops, which caught the eye of drummer Martin Lopez, fresh off a stint with melodic death metal band Amon Amarth. Amon Amarth. And Martin Mendez. Lopez and Mendez were fans of Opeth and took the ads down themselves so no other musicians could apply for the job. Wow. They were like, we love Opeth. We want to be in Opeth. No one else. They Mrs. Doubt fired that mess. <laughs> Not wanting to hire both Lopez and Mendez together for political reasons, they brought on the former for their next record, 1998's My Arms, Your Hearse. <laughs> I guess, like, Ackerfeld said, like, he even, like, copped to it in an interview. He's like, that was a stupid decision we made. We should have just brought them both on. <laughs> but I guess it was like he didn't want to create factions within the group. Where yeah. It was like, you know, the two Martins were going to side with each other yeah. against us. Yeah, you know? I get it. So... But eventually they both were Politics, joined. yes. Uh, anyway, on that album in 1998, Ackerfeld played bass himself on that album. Mm. Reich recognizing their foolishness, Ackerfeld and Lindgren did eventually bring on Martin Mendez for their next release, 1999's Still Life. Ackerfeld, Lindgren, Lopez, and Mendez would serve as Opeth's core lineup for the next several years. Stability. Yeah. It's good. That's how we build a following. And that brings us to Blackwater Park. All right. Opeth entered the studio to record their fifth album in August 2000 with only minimal rehearsals and no lyrics written. Steven Wilson, the frontman of progressive rock band Porcupine Tree, was brought on to produce the album. Now, I've mentioned Steven Wilson before. He is one of the most well-respected men in progressive rock. Hmm. Uh, I he like Porcupine Tree is like super well-respected for its like music, its production. It's artfulness. In the death metal scene? No, just in 
progressive rock in general. Uh, like they're a progressive rock band. Okay, like, okay. You know, and then they like I think they they you know will will flirt with metal a little bit, but like t- typically like it's just a very like like it's not even it's not I, w- I can't say it's a straight rock band because it's not. It's like mixes all kinds of different stuff, but it's progressive. But having Stephen Wilson come on and produce your album, that I think reads it brings a lot of credibility to Opeth here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it he's going to like he's going to be the the hidden the secret sauce yeah. for Opeth here. It's a new way that just like they've made it. Like yeah. they have acknowledgement from someone who's But not only that, like his his production skill will make yeah. the, it will elevate this album higher than anything they've ever done before. Yeah. We'll get into that. Wilson forged a friendship with Akerfeld after hearing Opeth's still life and agreed to produce their next album after hearing demos the group recorded. According to Akerfeld, Wilson had a quote immense impact on the recording and after working with him the group entered a quote new phase okay yeah and i'd say so it's like they 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 reached a peak here with blackwater park and mm-hmm. it kind of set the stage for their next albums who which i think is like their best run mm. of albums like they're it's just like great album after great album mm. you know yeah the recording process was according to Ackerfelt, rather smooth with the band wrapping things up in october 2000 the album was titled Blackwater Park, named after the German progressive rock band of the same name. I don't, I've never heard of Blackwater Park. <laughs> um, and uh, I did not, yeah, I, I, like, I didn't did look you... into, I didn't look up, uh, look them up. I didn't have time. But That's fair. Interesting. Blackwater Park released March 12th, 2001 in Europe and a day later in North America. It was the first Opeth album to be released in North America at the same time it was released the rest of the world. So cool. It's kind of like they're coming out too. For, for the for the US. Yeah. I think they had like they, you know, their their albums released in the US before this, but this is the first time where it's like, no, Opeth's here. Yeah. You know, we're going worldwide, baby. <laughs> and that's Blackwater Park. Ah, okay. All right, we could talk some music. <laughs> you want to describe to the kids what you, your experience listening to this the most recent time? Let me take a shot first. I hate it here. <laughs> I was listening to it on break at lunch because that was the time I had to go over the lyrics. And I texted him. I hate it here. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, I don't. Mm. Not, not your cup of tea. Not, not even my cup of mud. Like, <laughs> it's, it's an acquired taste, maybe. I don't know. You know, how, like some people eat frogs and you're like, I'm sure that tastes good, but I don't think I'm going to try to acquire it. That's this. I think we've teased it enough. Let's get into our first song. Uh, the first song we're going to talk about is called The Funeral Portrait. I think anyone who's familiar with heavy metal will be like, well, that's not too out of the ordinary. That's just, it's a basic metal riff. Um, it has a little bit of like um, that little like guitar, you know, the very sharp guitar melody that's playing before like the, the distorted riff starts is a little dissonant. 
Mm-hmm. It's a little, you know, I, I, it creates like it's a little uneasy the way they they play the that that melody. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, sometimes you know you, you'll hear a song and it has a very like I don't know. If, I am not a music theorist, mm-hmm. but I, I, I maybe it's like in a minor chord where it's like a you know it's a little unsettling. Mm. You know, it's a little dark. <laughs> <laughs> How many times are you going to use that word? It's I'm gonna dark. Count. No, I think the opening, I agree, right? Like, it's, I feel like I'm going to be, like, I feel like it may sound like I'm insulting you in your taste of music, but you say the same thing to me all the time, so I'm going to say it. It sounds like all the other stuff that we listen to that you put up, you know, or that we listen to on your side. It's start, like you said, it's pretty standard for a heavy metal metal sound as we come in. And so, yeah, obviously, I was just, when I was listening to it, I was like, yep, okay, and I bobbing did th- my head. I did that on purpose. I'm I'm going to start with this what the song I consider the most traditionally metal, and I'm going to slowly reveal the layers like it like an onion or, no. an, or an ogre. No onions in 2021. But I'm going Wait, 2020 20 2001. But I'm going to I'm, I'm going to show the different things that Opeth brings to the table beyond just the traditional metal stuff. Mm. But yes, I, I think Funeral Portrait is one of the most standard metal tracks on Blackwater Park. Yeah. And I, I decided to start with that one first. Because you hate your wife. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So it's like a basic metal riff and then the vocals start. And it's a basic death metal vocal growl. And it's over eight minutes long. <laughs> like a lot of progressive rock and metal, uh, Opeth songs are very long. <laughs> yeah. Uh, f- the Funeral Portrait does clock in at just under nine minutes. Yeah, I know. The shortest song. Never mind. <laughs> what was your first impression of the way he sings? Uh, I didn't realize he was singing. I was like, I for a moment, I was just like, okay, that's a weird way to use that bass resonance, but whatever. And then I was like looking at the lyrics, and I was like, was that the word moment? And I had to go back. I also, because I was complaining about this, sent this to my friend. And I said, hey, just listen to the first. Uh, Minute and a half, minute and a half of the song. Do not look up the lyrics. Just when he starts singing, tell me what he's saying. And she was like, "I think I heard the word window." And I sent her the lyrics to the first verse, and I said, "Try again." And she's like, "Yeah, I didn't get any of that." Okay, so I thought that was a fun exercise. So I'm gonna play the first verse of the funeral portrait. I have the lyrics in front. And then, and then we'll 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 say what the lyrics were. Just to, you know. Okay, I'm not gonna look at to them prove your to point see if here. I can see if I can remember. Okay, here we go. Kids, this is why I instilled a lyric rule for this. This is why we have to look at the lyrics for every. Not because we want to like I not Rodney may think, oh, it's so that we can figure out the poetry of what they're saying. No, I instilled the lyric rule because things like this is what he listens to. Now uh, here's the thing. You're, you're, at that point, it's like I, I'm going to like concede there. Like you're you're criticizing the form. Okay, this is just what death metal is. Yeah. And it's like either you like it or you don't like uh-huh. it. And it's like 
it's fine. If you don't like it, you don't like it. I'm not going to say you need to like, absolutely. how dare you criticize this is art, you know, but no, I, <laughs> but that's just what death metal is. Yep. They sing like that. Absolutely. So if you can get over that hurdle, that's fine. You know, and it's like knowing what he said, I could hear what he was saying. You know, I, I could understand it because I he heard it before and I fully like admit, yeah, there are a lot of these songs. It's like, I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> and to me, as a person who prioritizes the music mm -hmm. and the sound over the lyrics spoken, it doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. To me, it's more about like, well, what's the emotion that he's like expressing, you right. know? Um, and it, it's like, wow, that sounds f like, that sounds rad. That's that's really cool <laughs> how mad he is. You know what I mean? It's like- Is he mad? I, I thought he's, or this he's is like, a joyous song about a marriage. Uh, brutal bro, you know? <laughs> So some some death metal. It's actually funny when when a band like tries to do a song in that death metal growl, but the lyrics aren't like brutal. Yeah, you know they're actually just kind of tame or sentimental. It just sounds silly, <laughs> you know. So it's like there's just like that's the form of death metal. It's right. like we're gonna growl and we're gonna say like sinister like words, you know, and like t talk about like you know just dark subject matter or something, right? So any guesses when you what what did you think he said in that last listen? Moment sounded like Boba Fett to me this time, but I knew he was saying moment. He said, Boba, there was a sill. I do remember a sill sitting for a moment on a sill. All right, here we go. This is what he said. You wait by the window, morning's breath on the sill, idle hands given another try. So you wait and you savor the moment outside the canvas turned white, ruby eyes in the fog. Oh, <laughs> yep, kids. Go ahead, play it back. I'll wait. <laughs> All right, death growl aside, any any like comments on the words themselves? Like what what what's the story this this song is trying to tell? I have no idea. <laughs> I have zero. I have notes, but the notes really are just like, what is this? Like I don't. This first verse, they're just sitting, looking at snow outside of a window. That's my best guess. That's my best guess. I, you know, I, and going back to Dark Souls, uh, when I listened to the this song in the car, you know, and I was like really listening to it, trying to get the words, you know, and I was able to catch a few things. And this was before I sat down and like read them through mm -hmm. um, the the outside the canvas turned white, like looking out into the snow reminded me of the painted world in Dark Souls. <laughs> so it's like the, just like this bleakness, like, you know, just this. And I'm sure in, in Sweden, when it, like, does it snow in Sweden? Yes. Uh, you know, I'm sure in out there, it's just like this just bleak uh, tundra, you know, <laughs> everything's dead in the winter. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. that's the mood it sets. But the, the key phrase in this verse that really tells me what's going on is when it says, ruby eyes in the fog. Yes. I was like. The beast. It's something creepy. There's a beast, a monster, a demon. Something's out there and it's like a person who's like watching from the inside out, like seeing something approaching, mm -hmm. something unseen, you know, something sinister out there in the fog, you know, and, and that goes back to your just like, uh, heavy metal roots, right? When, when Black Sabbath started, you know, kind of like pioneered heavy metal as a genre, the idea was they were going to be the horror movie, but for music. They wanted to make scary music, right? Music mm -hmm. that was going to scare you. you yeah, know, yeah. Deal yeah. with the occult and, and 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 scary movies and slashers and goosebumps, stuff like that. Um, so, if you're going to make death metal, like you know, your lyrics have to be dark and moody and scary. Right. 
So I, I feel like this is in a way a horror story. I mean, I can see that very, I mean, you know, feel wise. I, I don't see story, but you know, like horror, horror scenes. Scenes. Yeah. Not necessarily connected. That's fair. <laughs> I think that that's accurate or you I know, need to know acceptable. why I was trying to figure out while I was reading it, why it's called funeral portrait. I was like, maybe each verse is like a different person in the portrait. Maybe does funeral portrait mean something else is how I felt. The next verse says, rain washing clean all the sins, a liquid gown that covers all. I liked that. Your loathe turns endless. Open mirage soothes your sense. Locked on the pinnacle, the best secret within. Tell me what that means. I don't know. Tell me right now. <laughs> no, legitimately, like, I, and I, I, you were in, you were in the <laughs> other room when I was trying to like really decipher these lyrics, and I'm like, this is like a puzzle to me, man. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep comparing this to Dark Souls, the video game Dark Souls. The, the story is like, it's an enigma. You know, it's, it's a puzzle to be solved. You mm. have to like dig deep and like connect dots that you know aren't explicitly spelled out for you. You know, so it's like j even uncovering the, the the plot <laughs> is a challenge. And I feel like that's what this is. It's like this po overly poetic, uh, abstract, ambiguous, like depiction of something. And it's sort of like, a you know, it's a challenge to even understand what's being expressed, you know? Yeah. And to to fight you, you had a problem with Nickelback being too straightforward. Right. This is the other side of it. Yes. It is it is almost equally not good. It, it is it more not good. It is almost the like philosophical pole <laughs> to Nickelback. It is the almost exact opposite. So if this and is Dark Souls Nickelback is heaven. Nickelback is uh your freaking Farmville. <laughs> uh but like on on that spectrum, right? If you're gonna say like Nickelback is on one end and Opeth is on the other, I prefer to be on the Opeth side of the spectrum. It's like to me, like I enjoy lyrics that are like abstract and overly figurative. It's it's sort of like like the poetry I like to write. You know, it's mm -hmm. like the poetry isn't necessarily about the explicit words, but the emotion expressed through those words mm -hmm. and the tone, and like it's almost like stream of consciousness, right? It's like yeah. it's all about the feeling that it gets and like the words themselves here, like maybe they don't tell a, a, a coherent narrative, but like the word choice, the diction and just the tone expressed by the music, it gives me this very like unsettling, like desperate feeling, right? Like a hopelessness, mm. right? Yeah. And, and a, a suspensefulness. Yeah. I think that's interesting because I'm not saying that that's bad, but I am saying that is the type of art that I hate. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, that, like, and that's I know, okay. But I mean, and that's I know okay. That I'm not calling it trash. Like it is art. It is an art form. But like in any media that I consume where there is like, I like poet, like things to be poetic. I don't actually like poetry. Sorry, poets out there. I'm real bad at that. Um, I like being able to like 
use language to its fullest and use words to really get a feeling and emotion. But if there's no like line of sense, like even logic, logic to it, even in an illogical kind of sense, I can't like for me, I'm like, this is frustrating and I can't get a picture of it. Like I can't even get a small kind of like with Nickelback where, yeah, it was straightforward or whatever, or it was bare bones. Even I was able to add on to it. Like the song that you're like, this is about a fake fight a couple had. And I was like, oh, it could be this and da da da. Like I'd prefer that being able to hang meat on it than this like slippery oiled snake where you're just kind of like, what? <laughs> and it's fine in that this is something that people enjoy. Like even hearing you, like you like, oh, I like the the feeling it builds in me, which I get, but the feeling it builds in me is frustration and annoyance. So I'm like, all right, then I just won't engage in art like that. Good luck to you. <laughs> I hope you do good things. I hope the people who love your stuff find it so that they can find joy in the world, but keep it away from me. <laughs> So I actually found a very interesting interview with Michael Ackerfeldt uh, regarding his his songwriting. Mm -hmm. It is lyrics, lyrics that he writes, right? And I think he basically laid out his philosophy for lyrics, you know? And I think you can listen to this and you can kind of take his words and, and twist them in a way and be like, you know, you, you I feel like what he's saying, you could draw very different conclusions from what he's talking about. But mm -hmm. I wanted to play it anyway singing in Swedish because I couldn't hide behind beautiful words, which I've been doing my whole career. I've been writing many, many songs about nothing. I don't know what they mean. And I find it kind of irrelevant whether they have a meaning, a song, because I mentioned like some fan come up to me, ask what's that song about? And is it about this and that? And I'm like, I'm not sure it's really up to you. And sometimes I say things like they don't mean anything. And I see in the faces of our fans that they're like, oh, they mean everything to me, they, they, you know. So it's more important what other people think. And it's like, you could probably take that and be like, yeah, see, he, he, he just validated everything I just said. It's about nothing. Yeah. It's meaningless. Mm -hmm. So I shouldn't have to care. I'm not invested. <laughs> and I can see that perspective. But I tend to like, you know, focus on what he said there at the end where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm presenting a mood and I'm speaking lyrics, you know, that like kind of speak to me in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe I'm doing a little bit fancifully, you know, with beautiful words or whatever. But the idea is to create a an abstract portrait that the listener derives their own meaning from. Mm -hmm. It is super uh, postmodern in its approach. Mm -hmm. And I love that stuff. Yeah. OK, that's just that that speaks to me yeah. as a, you know, as a consumer of art. Yeah, I think my response to that interview is cool. Like, I like if the intention is that it's nothing, then that makes sense, right? Like, that makes sense. It's still definitely not for me because I do enjoy the idea that we as consumers of art are called to do our own investigation and figure out what it means. But usually it's easier if for me if the artist has an intention you feel it you feel that there's an intention whether you know what they're you go with theirs or you don't you'll just be like well that was a choice that word was a choice that movement was a choice was it because of this or was it because of this and you lean towards whatever perspective uh is closer to you 
And that's the way I like to interact with art. If it really was just kind of like, I just want the mood and the sound to be reflective, then that makes sense. But in my head, I was like, then there doesn't need to be lyrics. Like if this was, I would be just as mad if this was an entire inter instrumental uh, <laughs> album and you sat here and made me listen to it. But like that would make more sense to me than having the lyrics there for me to dis distort or disturb the flow of the music that is creating this mu mood. That is a me thing. That's not, uh, so like, again, right? Like it's about how people perceive it, which that is how I perceive it. I would have preferred it if it was just musical, but I'm one person and they have plenty of fans. They do not need to please me. Well, like I said, the to me, I, I think he is making like deliberate choices with the words he uses, mm -hmm. you know? And I think they, just with individual words and phrases, like he is expressing ideas, mm -hmm. you know, that I think can be uh, interpreted as concrete, right? Like to me, and I guess the thing, I, I think there's, multiple interpretations of just this song, the funeral portrait in its own, right? right. Uh, I can offer you a few that I kind of like thought about as I was reading them. Okay. You know, and just those two opening verses there, um, I, in a very figurative way, I figured this song was like about a person's like final years before death, like this in, in you know, the, the ruby eyes in the fog, right? The image of like this impending danger approaching, mm -hmm. right? Unseen. It's like, to me, that just feels like, you know, the lurking death, <laughs> you know, like death slowly approaching, right? Like mm -hmm. idle hands given another try. It just feels like somebody who is like becoming less capable in their mortal shell mm -hmm. and is trying to, you know, fight death. And maybe even like maybe not even death, but like feeling um, an impending like it's like you're fighting depression. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's the line, your loathe turns endless. Right. And loathe. I love that it's used as a noun. Mm -hmm. it, it's and I, you know, I looked up the noun version of loathe. <laughs> right. A strong dislike yep. or disgust, intense aversion. Yeah. Right. And. In these verses, that doesn't seem like a loathing towards another person. It's a loathing upon themselves, mm -hmm. right? It's like this, you know, self-loathing can be a sign of depression, of, you know, hopelessness, of, uh, I don't know, giving up. Yeah. Um, and, and so it just, it seems like somebody who is just like in, in intense despair mm. over something. Yeah. It, whatever that something is, it's like what you bring into it. Could it be a death? Could it just be... You know, just intense depression brought on by the death of someone else, loneliness, whatever. To me, like this song is about an impending anxiety. Mm. And I definitely can like, I can see where you can pull, where you're pulling those things from. It makes me think of at the beginning of this saying, it's less of a story and more as like small snapshots, small moments of this kind of horror feeling. So, you know, like it's, it's there. It's just also not <laughs> you know um and i'm gonna be petty and say the same thing you said to me in nickelback's uh when you're like oh you're pulling all that from this i think you're reaching that's <laughs> what you said to me it's, like, it's gobbledygook <laughs> and it could be but, but to again, me, it speaks to me yeah and i like love that for you yeah <laughs> i think and there were like lines that i did i did like right i also 
one of the four things I've written on here is interesting on the line, your loathe turns endless for the same reasons. I was just like, okay, see, and that's the thing for me, there are lines. There are lines that I'm like, I can pull this out to mean something, but it's surrounded by like a lot of other stuff that I means nothing to me can in connection with it. And so that's what it was making it hard for me. Um, but I, I can definitely see push pulling those things together and having, how long did you like have to like really ruminate on it? Like well, not as a, I like, don't know, like, yeah, it took me a while. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a, a bit of a, like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to yeah, think it's challenging. This. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, this music is challenging. Yeah, I just looked at our bookshelf and saw leaves of grass over there in the familiar. Yeah, yeah, this is right up your alley. <laughs> right, yeah, it's like I, I like media that's going to challenge me. Yeah, you know, I and, and sometimes it's fine to just listen to something passively, but like I feel like this is a very active experience. Mm -hmm. Would you say that is that like a new thing for you? Like in your no. in your not not a new thing, but like you hadn't for this album really sat and listened to it like this before to figure out. Yeah. What it is. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's a new, a new experience. Like, oh, yes. What yes. is this? Yeah. Like, and so I enjoy it. I enjoy it on another level yeah. because of that too. Yeah. But going back to my own interpretation of the album, another verse says caked in the soil beneath fear me when we meet, turn away in admiration, my firm grip around the nucleus of joy. Uh, one, the firm grip around the nucleus of joy uh, paints a picture of someone who's like clinging to joy yeah. desperately, right? Yeah. I Yeah, no, no, I agree. I, that was actually a line that I, I circled because I really liked it. And then this verse introduces the me character, right? Like there, it seemed to be almost like a third person narrator, the speaker of the song, just kind of like painting a scene, mm. you know? Uh, yeah away you know it's like not inserting themselves in but then it's fear me when we meet right i was like well who's me who's we right and no answer there's no there's no direct answer it's like it could be here it could be death right this could yeah. be the speaker of death like you know you fear me when we meet right like like i said this could be someone fearing their their, their impending doom you know mm -hmm. they're just the lurking death is around because they're in old age you know and they don't have the energy to fight it anymore yeah uh <laughs> Yeah. And another very, very surface level interpretation could be it's about like a literal monster that's, you know, like in a horror yeah. movie, right? Like a zombie. Yeah. And I, I labeled a little piece of music that I called zombie attack because that kind of <laughs> that kind of sounds like that. Uh, let me play that real quick. zombie got him <laughs> or the or death <laughs> death got him somebody he gun got got me gun got got yeah, it's like you will you will <laughs> i don't i don't know exactly what he said but it's like you will oh here we go enough of this you will leave me now you will see it now perish at my hands right yep he done got got <laughs> you done got got 
um, a little bit of like you recognize that this music is like very dynamic in its structure. It's like the the songs have many movements, yeah. right? Where it will go from a straight metal riff to like that you know acoustic guitar, almost like a like a mandolin type music, you know. Yeah. Very European. I, I will recognize that. There's a lot of European sounding music in here, you know. But the music changes throughout. You listen to it; it's like an experience, which is another thing I enjoy about progressive music. Yeah, I think that. Um it, it it does have moments where it's like palatable for me. Yeah. And I will say, right, some of the other songs we're gonna talk about soon um are far more palatable than this, but it's you know. And honestly, I was realizing as we were going through it right now, like the things that you're pointing out, I'm like, hmm, I didn't see that. And I realized because it was so difficult for me to get through the first two verses, my brain just turned off. Like I read them, I still have notes down here, but it's made it difficult for me to like engage because I could, I was frustrated, like yeah. I said. Um, but you know, like listening along to the, with the music, like when I, I, when I was listening to it and reading along with the lyrics, anytime the lyrics stopped, I was like, oh, <laughs> like it, it, I was gonna say, it's almost so. I think that's what makes Opeth a little different from like your straight death metal because death metal is like a lot of it's just ball to the wall all the time. It's mm. just like constant, just a constant driving force, right? It's just like aggression, like mm. turned up. And this for is 10 like minutes. for sometimes death metal is like the music people listen to when they go to the gym because you just pumps them up. Mm -hmm. But Opeth treats the metal like it needs to be evened out with a reprieve, you know, like there's like a, you get a relief from the heavy metal, like tradition every so often you just get to breathe. The music breathes. That's, yeah. I, that's what it feels like to me. Like it works itself up and then it calms down. Right. You know, and whatever mood that's trying to set, if they're trying to tell a story, I feel like it is meant to kind of like, you know, uh, complement the story a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, think about like imposing death, like, or anxiety in general, right. People, get worked up with anxiety and they seek out moments where they can just breathe, right? Like that opening line, you wake by the window, morning's breath on the sill, right? Mm -hmm. Almost calm, right? Almost. <laughs> yeah. That's what this song is. It's almost calm sometimes. Sometimes. But it's there's something always creeping. <laughs> and uh, the, the last uh, like verse of this, the last like death metal verse in this song says close to you tangled up in hair fresh stigma looks shall i take you with me it is cold ruby eyes in the fog it is me <laughs> that is that is the ruby eyes in the fog right the the monster that lurks whatever it represents why can't it be santa claus <laughs> why can't it be santa claus <laughs> it's a uh, santa's sleigh <laughs> demon With santa an e. yeah so i it, it to me there's like there's an antagonist in this song mm -hmm. uh it's not clear what it is who it is what it represents but, but it i feel is clear it, that it's there <laughs> it's there and it's sinister yeah and i feel like that's the point yeah 
And then, I don't disagree. And then to give you a little break, the song gives you a break at the end. Because another interesting thing about Opeth is they mix the death metal growls with non-traditional death metal stuff, right? Mm. And that includes clean vocals by Michael Alkerfeld. So yes, kids, the, the, the singer that you've been hearing throughout this whole song, the guy who... This is also him. He has a good, clean voice. Harmonies. It's like, that's, you know, that's not your normal death metal. That's something, you know, that's different. What do you you think of that? I think, like I said, he has a good, clean voice. Like, there should be more of that. There will be in other songs. (laughs) And uh, this verse, there's actually like a call and response, and it's very faint what the response says in those lyrics we just heard. Mm -hmm. But it says, and you are just like them all, parentheses, I'm slave to this calling inside me. Stained by the name of fathers, parentheses, it won't let go. I'm greeting my downward fall, which feels like death to me, parentheses, spirit bewildered and gone, leaving the throes to others, parentheses, waves hello. Uh To me, someone accepting death, that's what this, that's what I interpret this as. It's someone who's just, they, they have no more energy left and they're, so they welcoming, don't care. they're welcome the embrace of death. Uh, I, I'm greeting my downward fall, leaving the throws to others, you know? Okay. You know, just kind of, I'm leaving this world to the rest. Well, have a good time, <laughs> buddy. So anyway, that's the funeral portrait. Funeral. Death. <laughs> I feel like a lot of these songs you could interpret as being about death. All of them. Not all of them. All right. The next song, which is another enigma. Fully recognize that one. Uh, that is the song, The Leper Affinity. heavy metal stuff what did they say <laughs> that's a good question i have no idea <laughs> uh we entered winter once again naked freezing from my breath neath the lid all limbs tucked away this talk this coffin is your abode from now and onwards <laughs> huzzah it's about death it's about death <laughs> but like what you know i this one i had like there are there were a lot of different possible interpretations that I came on this one, including ones I looked like fan theories up on the internet. Like, what is this song about to you? You know, and it's like everyone had a different interpretation what this song meant. Oh. Uh, but everyone related to, to death and sexual uh, imagery. Yeah, I literally. There is there is an inherent sexuality in this song. Um, beware of that. This conversation might become not safe for work. I, I'm going to try and, you know, keep it. Or not safe for self. 
maybe I don't know because I had I was I the yes the sexual it through the lyrics came out a lot but I got a lot of bad no touch juju yes that I think I think there's a there's a a valid interpretation of the words used in this song you know? hey kids here's your warning we may be talking a little bit about assault yes so if you're you're not down to with that uh please skip to three hours five minutes thirty nine seconds. So when I first heard like this song, like I said, it, it, many different interpretations. But when I first heard it, in, like listened to it in the car, I was trying to catch words and phrases and kind of like pull it all together. I thought it was about someone like slowly fighting off. Like is that we entered winter winter once again, naked, freezing in the in my breath. Right. Whatever. I thought it was like the breath of like a cold storm, like someone dying of frostbite, you know, and is mm. fighting off like this invasive death right like where your body is shutting down yeah against your will yeah um and it's you know it's sort of like you're you you have no control over your body anymore mm-hmm. right and it's like this like slowly f- you know freezing from within you know that kind of thing yeah, yeah to yeah. from the outside in yeah hyperthermia uh, <laughs> yeah and i don't think that's necessarily the case but i do think you know taking the like dying out in the winter i think the winter once again imagery might just be figurative Mm -hmm. but i think this song might be about like the song's called leper affinity Mm -hmm. right uh i think it calls to mind leprosy right but think of leprosy as like this invasive force that you catch and your body basically dying from the outside in yeah it's this it's this invasive penetrating force that is on you and you can't get it and it's taking over your body. I like none of the words that you're using. I'm I'm telling you this is like this is this is metal, bro. <laughs> I can't. It's so metal, man. <laughs> if I get triggered, we're going to have to stop. Um when I read the when I was reading the first verse, I mean listening to it and reading it but then pausing it to actually read it, uh I was thinking that this was about forced isolation not just like right because i think when you think of leprosy you think of all the terrible things that you just said but also uh seclusion and isolation because you can't be around anyone else right like um well you know yeah because that's how you catch it (laughs) i think i'm not a scientist you know and we would have leper colonies in the past i don't know if that was actually helpful or not i don't know the science behind it i don't either (laughs) Um, but I do know leprosy is curable now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I was thinking when I was reading it about it being like the leper affinity being about the affinity with being set apart in a negative way. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Some of the, like I, I, the, the refrain of this song, I wouldn't call it a chorus, but the refrain is your body is mine to avail such a tra- tragic sight you are. Slave under my creed, spurring me with those tears. That's the bad touch juju. Right. 
And I, I think that's purposeful, you know, and, the, and then later on it says, saving strength now, faint whispers, come erotic communion in its splendor. And I just wrote, Agni, no, I don't like it. So words like erotic communion, your body is mine to avail, obviously call to mind a, a very uh, sexual, uh, violent tone, uh, which I think, and again, I want to read this more figuratively. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the rest of the song becomes more figurative. Um, and if we're talking about who's the speaker, right? Your body, right? Mm -hmm. Someone talking to you. It's like, you're such a tragic sight. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's like either the, the illness, the sickness taking over the body. It's right. like you're, 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 you're pitiful, right? You know, yeah. the, you, you, you are powerless to fight me mm -hmm. from within you. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that's what that that's what it reminds me of. It's like or or just like death in general. Right. Like we're powerless to fight death, mm -hmm. you know, once it's set in, you know. So yes. and I think Even giving it this sets in, we just we can't fight death. <laughs> giving it the sexual connotation just makes it that much more violent, sinister, um, just repugnant. Yeah. Loathsome. Loathsome. And so I think that that's why this song carries the sexual connotations is because it's trying to make it that much more despicable and evil, you know? Yeah. I don't disagree with you, but I have nothing else to say because it makes me feel gross. Uh, about this part, anyway. I mean, like, later down, it's fine. Um, you got the me most metal line of all. Love me to my death. So stupid. <laughs> I think further down, there was a line that I was like, what does that mean? Uh, but I liked it. It's specifically just one line that says, draw murder into art. Um, the whole verse says, fevered mirrored ghost, nighttime consolation across the line, draw murder into art, sleep inside through days. Very confusing, but um, the draw murder into art line I really enjoyed because one I said like Bob Ross. <laughs> okay. He doesn't draw murder into art, but he draws art, right? So yeah. you're like, literally, are you draw? You know, like doing a painting. Once again, calling to mind Dark Souls <laughs> and the painted world <laughs> of Ariandel. Right. I suppose. I don't know. I was in the room when it happened, but um, yeah, I just thought it was a pretty poignant line. Um, even in line with kind of thinking about leprosy um, in that it is a skin condition amongst other things yeah. that creates patterns on your skin and different things like that, like petals and. Oh, that's that That's an interesting interpretation for sure. Yeah. 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 Like Bob Ross. Like vi it's, it's an illness that's like explicitly vi visual. Yes. Yeah. So I just thought I was like, oh, I like that line. Like that is a. That's really just 
like yeah, it's uniquely visual. Yeah. And so, but it was also one of those things where it's like, I don't understand what you're saying. So I just sit there and figure out like, what does this mean? Because I'm drawn to this line. What does it mean? Mm -hmm. Again, the stuff around of it, not sure. But maybe nighttime constellation across the line means like you can't sleep. Fevered married ghosts, meaning you can't look at yourself because you're turning white as a ghost. Mm -hmm. You don't even know what you are. Uh, yada, yada, yada. I just think it's pretty cool. We're going to make a literary critic out of you yet. No, absolutely not. <laughs> like this, this, this reminds me of like beat poetry where it's like it's so ambiguous that it's just like, yo, you, you got to tackle it word for word. Oh, gosh. Sometimes. I hate line editing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, but the song takes a sharp turn halfway mm -hmm. through. Yes. Um, and, the good part. And I'm, I, here we go. I'm peeling the onion back a little bit. Oh, okay. Gosh. We've got the metal out of the way. Let, the, this is what this is what Opeth can be also. Sounds like Chad. It's he's got a very pretty voice. He does. When he, he has when, a very pretty voice. Yeah, and and I'm telling like the fact that the song slows down, you get clean vocals, and it's just acoustic guitar. Like th this is not you know your standard death metal stuff. This is this is something different. And I I want to like say that this actually enhances the story as well, right? Because I I would think that. This is a different speaker than the one that was growling earlier, right? Mm -hmm. And I was applying the voice to like the leprosy itself, right? The thing that's taking over my body, yeah, you know, from the inside. It's just like this loathsome creature that's invaded me, yeah, right? Um, the, the clean vocals, on the other hand, I wanted to apply to the person who's being inflicted, right? Mm -hmm. The victim, right? right? And it's like this person crying out for help, right? right. And he, who understands like the hopelessness in their situation is just like clinging to you know, just kind of, you know, fumbling in the dark, trying to find some kind of hope. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you lost our days of spring. You sighed and let me in. Keep the beast inside shackled within my hide. Uh, that that specifically makes me think that this is the the afflicted talking. Mm -hmm. Right. Keep the beast inside shackled within my hide. Right. Like, please don't, you know, don't show it, you know, screaming out too late, losing to my hate. And then the line grew together with your skin and paced the trails of sin. I'm like, grew together with your skin. Mm -hmm. That's the leprosy. Yeah. Right? And it's referring to it as the hate, the beast. Yeah. You know, there's this. And, and that's the thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be leprosy either. It could just be like just an un, uh, just like a bestial, like part of ourselves. Right. Like mm -hmm. that's constantly trying to break out. We're constantly trying to like repress. Yeah. I think I would read it only a little bit differently. I would say this uh, sandwich, because uh, it's three stanzas. The first, Lost uh, Are the Days of Spring, You Sighed and Let Me In, is the leprosy. Yeah. And a lot, like the, the couplet on the top and the bottom is the leprosy. 
I feel like it's going into quiet gaslighting phase of you let me in. Mm. Mm. To make it even more like monstrous, right? It, it, like not only are you, is it taking over and leading you to your grave and not giving you a choice, but it's saying it's your fault. Like that this was a choice you made. And then the middle bit saying, keep the beast inside saying, don't share this with other people. This is just my problem. I don't want someone else to do this as well. Shackled within my hide, screaming out too late, losing to my hate. There's nothing you can do at this point. And then the uh, leprosy closing out again um, to like kind of end the circle of gaslighting uh, and narcissism almost in having the victim speak with them this mm. new truth we grew together in your skin and we you know like pay together pasted the trails of your sin and yes. and you know the, the the production of the song itself kind of uh backs that up because when those lines that you attribute to the afflicted are being sung it's only in the left channel yeah so you know stereo sound <laughs> pretty cool but yeah that i i think you're right maybe the the and the fact that it's only in one channel of the song mm -hmm. makes it seem like it's like this faint voice yeah. that's losing control and is just like crying out as its voice is being muffled by this other force. Yeah, it's a conversation where one is clearly the stronger yeah. voice. You know, and it's this quiet uh, acceptance that this is, you know, this is my life now. Yeah, and this was the easiest for me to understand. One, because the lyrics are legible. Wait, how do you? Audible. Clean. Yes, they are very clean, and I'm able to hear every second of that Nickelback Chad voice. It's wonderful. Two, it's telling a story that's very clear here. And I'm sorry if that makes me stupid and a layman and just like, I don't want to be challenged. But I feel like even as we're sitting here, like, I was like, no, this is challenging in and of itself. Like, yeah. being able well, to differentiate that there are definitely two voices and different things like that. So that's why I literally wrote, I don't know if I said this already, on this part, my note just says, this is good to my abused ears. Like, this was the part that. And I think, but that's the thing, like, maybe that's also the point. It's like the, the challenging, the, you know, almost like mumbling, uh, uh, stream of consciousness lyrics that are sung and growling that can be barely understood are meant to challenge you to just to be like, you know, almost uncomfortable to your ears. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's the point of that part of the song. And then when it's clean, you've, you know, you're, you're able to understand the emotion a little bit more behind it because you're not being drowned out by this overwhelming force, right? This anxiety, you know, you're witnessing the last gasp of normalcy in this person. That could be the point, but he said that there is no point. <laughs> it's true. And that's, it's, it's only a point of you think it is. It's and like, I think it is. It's like that, uh, musical, uh, thing. Silence. There's a, a, a classical, mu a piano piece that's called like zero colon zero zero. No, it's like 430. Okay, yeah, it's called 430. It's not 420. It's called 430 or something. And it's just nothing. It's silence. It's just silence. It's, it's just 433 by John Cage. Yes. And it's literally, if you see anyone play it, it's they have music in front of the movie music sheet in front of them. They're keeping beat. You can see them keeping beat. They turn the pages that they go. Not a single note gets played. It's a performance thing. Yeah, it's it's but, it, it's absurd. Yeah, but that's the point of it, right? Like the point of it is nothing when some but when somebody was like, oh, the point of it is this. It is just to sit in the silence. The person made a different song 
that was the same thing called is like no that's the point of this song this yeah it has it, a different it's, purpose it's all about interpretation yeah you know? that's postmodernism to a t like that's the most postmodern you can get oh man this, and join us on our new podcast rodney explains postmodernism um the guest will not be me <laughs> <laughs> and then the last two verses of the song say your gaze covered with virgin snow rigid features it's the shallow deeds who is to blame deafening shrieks pierce the night a step from oblivion moving into the dim lights Hiding within the reverie, it was worth it for the wait alone. What's a reverie? A state of being pleasantly lost in one's thoughts, a daydream. Is a reverie. Oh. Anyway, it, it, yeah. th- th- this this verse could relate to uh, your theme of like isolation, right? It's like yeah. the 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 leper accepting the isolation that is their new reality. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. How sad. Very sad, <laughs> yeah. but also realistic. And uh, the song then ends with a sad piano, which again another layer ripping off the of the Opeth Onion. It is very, very pretty. It is very It's like very a full pretty. minute and a half of just like this somber piano piece <laughs> to finish the song off. And I think it just like, it's quiet, it's isolated, it's sad. Yeah. And, and I think that that is like, if we're watching the scene of this, this sad, lonely leper who's been left alone in life, <laughs> you know, and slowly he's in the, he does, he's in the spotlight and this, you know, this, it's the, pulling back crane shot, <laughs> crane shot pulling back. And then it just goes silent. It goes dark. Or it goes all white. Maybe. That's how I would end it. (laughs) Yeah, so that's the leper affinity. (laughs) Cool, dude. Cool, dude. (laughs) The next song I'm going to talk about is Ripping Off Another Peel of That Onion. Okay, I don't mind the song. Just heads up, kids. I don't mind the song. The song's called Harvest. Does this song directly follow Leper Affinity on the album? Uh, there's a song in between. Okay. They, that should not have happened. <laughs> like, this sounds like it's ending on Leper Affinity mm. and the kind of, like, so it, it would have made more. I don't know what's in between. It's a song called Bleak, and it's a song that's very bleak. <laughs> yeah, I think that Bleak maybe should have gone after Harvest. I haven't heard Bleak. I mean, I have when we did this event the first time around, but... Um, yeah, but that's an artistic choice. So uh, what, is, what is this song about, if you had to take a guess? Harvesting Souls. 
It's about death. I think <laughs> I honest. I think it's about death. Like that's uh, that's how my is that different than what I said. That's true. You know, like <laughs> this this one's a much more like um, indie. No, I think this one's a much more um, relaxed view on death. You mm. know, it's it's not as sinister or anxious about death. It's just like this quiet acceptance of what death is. You know, right? I think honestly, the other two songs were also ended at least in that quiet accept acceptance eventually yeah but this one this one i think is just like hey you know we've we've got there i know what's next i know what my next step in existence is right um let me let me lay out my final words before i you know head off to the next plane mm. uh the the first the first verse is stay with me a while rise above the vial name my final rest poured into my chest think name my final rest calls to mind like hey let's decide where i'm going to die mm-hmm. uh stay with me a while i mean I, I think that's like i need comfort i'm about to die mm-hmm. you know like I'm, I'm trying to take in the the people and the comforts that mean the most to me right so you think that this is all from I don't know. I, I, I think, yeah, uh, it, looking at it again, it is all, it does appear to be all one eye, but. I think it's from the point of view of someone who's about to die. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I, like rise above the vial to me means like, hey, put aside the uh, just whatever uh, personal issues we had, the the selfishness, the, uh, you know, the antagonism, any, you know, for the people around him, whatever that vileness was, let's, let's. Let's rise above it. I'm about to die. I forgive you. Forgive me. Let's just be with me in this moment. Yeah. Yeah, fair. No, okay. I think I think that was the line that was throwing me off. Like, okay, but what does rising above the vial have to do with this? Um, well, I think it's because I wanted to read it as like a harvester rather than someone being harvested. Like harvest. Mm. <laughs> so I was, it was almost like the heart, you know, like, the idea of like walking with the a reaper, the grim reaper, yeah, yeah, just kind of like, hey, stay with me a while, rise above the the vial, like come with me, especially as we get into like the chorus and the refrains, it feels a little bit like being led, but it also could just be like, like you said, somebody on their deathbed and saying like, let's put aside the things that we have and like decide this business because I'm not going to be here that long. Yeah, and I, it, it could also that's the thing. I think like honestly, if you were to compare this song to the funeral portrait, right? I think you have two very different versions of a, of a grim reaper yeah. character one is like super evil and lurking and dangerous and yeah. one is just kind of like come with me walk with me <laughs> come on take yeah. a short walk and then we get the the, the chorus or the refrain of this the song this song carries a much more standard structure verse yeah. chorus verse chorus so on um and then the the chorus is into the orchard i walk peering way past the gate wilted scenes of us who couldn't wait drained by the coldest caress stalking shadows ahead halo of death all I see is departure, mourners lament, but it's me who's the martyr. Into the ocean and I walk, feeling way 
that that's that's someone going to heaven in my head yeah the or i i the, it, that's the thing i think the symbol of the orchard yeah yeah could be something else and it's based on interpretation but to me the i love thinking of heaven as the orchard mm-hmm. right you know maybe it's like the garden of eden or something but like i try i was trying to like go into it like what what religions refer to heaven as an orchard i mm-hmm. couldn't find any but i think that's such a like beautiful yeah metaphor that's legit what i what i did i'd put uh i wrote when into the orchard and made me think vineyard and then way past the gate to the gate yeah waking walking past the gate right where we're like there's a lot of symbolism and imagery about gates the in pearly heaven, gates in uh valhalla in just like lots of different places like there's always a gate there's always a like mm, are you supposed to be here are you on the list <laughs> kind of thing um i think the line that i was really interested in was wilted scenes for those who couldn't wait and i thought that was such an interesting confusing line because things usually are only wilted if you wait too long yeah but so i would i would under i would like unripe scenes for those of us who couldn't wait would make more sense to me than wilted Mm. um but i so i was like oh I, i think that's an interesting like why why was that the word that was used was it just because it's more imagematic. <laughs> I don't know. Like you think but, of like, like wilted people as in like people who are dead. Yeah. You know? It's like, to me, it's like, you know, Hey, you're dead. You're wilted. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it didn't, it doesn't matter when you died. Yeah. Once you're dead, you are a wilted scene, you know? Yeah. And it all, like, I think that those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, you know, for sure. One and- who couldn't wait, one who couldn't like fight anymore. Mm-hmm. I think you're you're right. I think I was uh, attaching that line to the one above about the orchard, orchard, rather than below. Right. So it is about not necessarily what you see of an orchard, which would be trees and leafy greenage and stuff like that, but rather about the people who are drained by the coldest grass. Yeah. So that makes more sense. Where you're you're just kind of like, ah, I made it here. I'm tired. I'm going to rest right here at the foot of this tree until I can get my my second wind in death. Yeah. And then you get the line, mourners lament, but it's me who's the martyr. Yeah. It's like people are sad, but I'm dead. Like, I'm the one who died. You know, it's like I'm the one who that's the thing. I don't know what kind of version of death this is. Right. But it's like I've suffered the most because I'm dead. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you get to be sad, but at least you're alive. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think this song calls a lot of interesting ideas out of death. You know, just like it's a, it's a very unique painting of death. Yeah, it's got a passing on. It's a lot of spaghetti at walls. <laughs> Not in a bad way. This reminds me more of Dark Souls. <sighs> Spirit painted sin, embers beneath the skin, veiled in pale embrace, reached and touched my face. like the line spirit painted sin i wrote the deepest kind of sin 
Like the idea, because I'm reading it as sin painted with the spirit, sin done with the spirit mm. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> especially the following line is embers neath my skin. Like you've already, you've earned, hell. like, you know, like you've earned hell. You feel like, like, yeah, it was or- like embers beneath my skin makes it seem like I'm burning. I'm, yeah. I'm going to hell. Right. I'm like, man, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea, but. Veiled in pale embrace, and I think he's describing the Reaper, mm-hmm. right? Reached and touched my face, meaning I'm I'm going. I don't yeah. know where I'm going. I'm going somewhere. It almost, once I get to the end, reads like, uh, I'm going to heaven. I'm in this orchard. I'm walking past the gate. Everything's wilted. Hmm. Uh, and then the line we didn't, like, uh, we didn't talk about is talking about, like, pledging yourself and... Um, how time ends now and now we're like actually um i didn't live the 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 cleanest life which is why we said rise above the vial like i was the vial (laughs) kind of thing and so it's just kind of this presentation of ah yes i've done my life it's time to oh look orchards oh people are wilted that's fine maybe they're catching their second wind ah there is fire burning me from within and then we go back to the chorus of um, mourners lament, you know, like, but it's me who's the martyr. <sighs> How horrifying. So maybe it, this person thought they were going to heaven and they went to hell in the end. Yeah. Okay. So that's literally my thought right now, which is like, I don't, keep it or don't, where it's like that thought where you're like, well, I lived a good life and I did all the things that I needed to do. So yeah. And no, you didn't. You didn't whatever you think. And so that the martyr is like, they're mourning for me, but I gave my life. Like I lived my life for these rules and I'm a martyr for it because it meant nothing. So this is about accepting death. That's metal, bro. (laughs) (laughs) That's freaking metal. Oh my gosh. And I think that's harvest. Yeah. Yeah. So you favorite song we talked about then. Huh? Favorite song. Yeah. That's the song. I don't know if you, played clips probably Mm -hmm. uh i it's my favorite one because you can hear all the you can it's you know it it feels more in line with stuff that i listen to it's it's closer to the kind of rock that i listen to okay the post metal what that's not what i listen to (laughs) post grunge (laughs) the post grungy but uh let's peel back the onion a little bit okay so the onion's been peeled (laughs) i'm gonna chop it up and we're gonna make a beautiful salad out of it but i okay bad bad metaphor i don't know (laughs) My, my point is the last song we're going to talk about is called The Drapery Falls. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a song that blends the more traditional death metal stuff with the non-traditional stuff that they sprinkle in to create a very interesting story mm-hmm. using both elements together. Okay, so let's get that started. What's your take on the Drapery Falls? It's literally a over two minute instrumental opening. It is. It is. It's almost two minutes and thirty seconds. It's progressive metal. Come on, this is, we're, we're going to get a bit of that. You uh, asked me my thoughts. Spe- speaking of that, um, there's a lot of like scholarship about the musicality of Opeth mm-hmm. that I 
I'm not even, I am not well-trained or educated enough to like understand, but apparently the music here is extremely complex and like music nerds love it. So if you are a music fan out there and you are like well-versed in like what, like mu like music theory and stuff like that, and you can tell us what's special about Opeth's arrangements, let me, let us know because I'm actually really curious and yeah, so apparently music nerds love this stuff. It's very, very complex in a very uh, musical way. I believe you. I couldn't do any of this. I wouldn't even be able to tap on beat. Anyway, so the the Drapier Falls, I feel like, goes through some stages, right? There's movements, right? And mm -hmm. it, it kind of sim similar to uh, the Leper Affinity where, you know, like it, it kind of like goes hard and then it you know gets soft and clean and then you know so on so on and i think it tells a story now the song opens with a very dark and sinister tone right mm -hmm. um actually i have a little bit of that i have queued up It's it's dark. It's a little unsettling, but not completely. Like I have a little bit of anxiety listening to the way those notes are played. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because it's in a minor key. I don't know anything about music. Um, but or it makes if, me feel a thing. Yeah. And then the the opening verse says, "Please remedy my confusion and thrust me back to the day. The silence of your seclusion brings night into all you say. Pull me down again and guide me into pain." Now, remedy my confusion. The speaker of the song is confused. Right? <laughs> Thrust me back into the day. The si uh, and then the silence of your seclusion brings night into all you say. To me, again, this is just my interpretation. I feel like this is somebody who is anxious about being asleep. Right? Mm. The powerlessness of sleep. Right? Um, be, being fear like an insomniac or just like scared to sleep, scared to sleep, right? Scared to be without your control, mm -hmm. right? And, and if that's a metaphor for like being without control in general, sure, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it is. But this is someone who's afraid of sleep, the darkness, the, the unconsciousness of sleep, right? And it, whatever it is that creates that can you know even like the confusion of dreams right mm -hmm. maybe it's someone haunted by dreams and they don't want to sleep right they they want to be thrust back to the day right. right they don't like the seclusion that comes with sleep the silence the all-encompassing silence yeah i am listening to you 
because as I said, I have one line on here and I'm like, uh, I don't know. So I'm finding it very helpful hearing your thought processes and like giving me a second to like sit and read with the kind of framing that you're giving it because I can work off of your framing. I can't work off these lyrics. Yeah. Um, but I am reading, like reading, hearing what you're saying about like an, a fear coming with it. I'm reading it more of, um, they're talking to a, a, person they're talking to a situation or something like that because it sounds like it's it's saying that what brings night is your silence so it's saying tell me like tell me what the problem is remedy my confusion like just talk to me mm. just talk to me thrust me back into when it was right when it was light when it was day when it was great because you not talking and your seclusion from this this relationship, this whatever, is what's making it night, which is it's darkening everything. Pull me down again and guide me into the pain. Like we were fighting, but that was better than you sitting in the corner saying nothing. But, then but the, it's probably not that because death metal. But that's yeah, like. But then the second verse says, "I'm counting down nocturnal hours, drowned visions and haunted sleep. Faint flickering of your powers leaks out to show what you keep." I I can still read it the same way. <laughs> so who, if he's talking to someone and begging somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Like part of me thinks maybe he's begging his own body. It's like, please wake me up, mm -hmm. right? Or pleading to God himself, right? right? It's like, please don't keep me asleep anymore, you know, mm -hmm. like, or, or any more longer than I need to. You know, like, please, uh, I, I see faint flickers of your power, but like this, this haunted sleep, it's too much. You know, I'm seeing, the, what are these visions? Who knows? But I, I, you know, I need to wake up. I need to wake up. Yeah. It's like I, this desperation. Yeah. I totally see that too. But since, you know, it's also whatever I see it because True. that's the, that's what I have. I can see that. But again, just like the metaphors, bringing it back to the, I'm counting down the nocturnal hours i'm counting down how long like when we go to bed with a fight <laughs> like when we're like i can't talk about this right now we're gonna have to do it we're gonna have to do it tomorrow whoever didn't say that is having a rough night <laughs> they just are right like there are times you do it i'm like i i have to go sleep in the living room i've got it like because i am not gonna bring this up because i said i'd give him space but i'm an, i'm like frustrated i'm i'm edgy i'm all of these different things and this kind of like I'm drowned in haunted vision. I'm making up things like maybe this is the issue. Maybe this is the issue or something like that. And on the times when it's not like nighttime, when we're sitting next to each other, like say some, oh, like there'll be moments where you're like, look over and it looks like you're about to say something. And then you remember you're mad at me <laughs> and you write like that flink, faint flickering of your power, faint flickering of the light that leaks to show that what you keep leaks to show that you have something that you're like, kind of thing. Again, it's death metal and it's probably not about that, but that is, that's what I'm pulling from it. Okay. So to add more credibility to my interpretation, <laughs> uh, to build my own argument here, uh, at, you know, after this opening segment, which is 
Michael singing clean, you know, in a corner, like just this somber tone, um, the song shifts and he turns into the growling death metal Michael. Oh, yeah. Uh, so at 350 is what I refer to the song Falling Down. It, the way he's singing it and the way there's the echo, it sounds like he's falling into this pit or yeah. this, you know, down this hole, right? And based on my interpretation of the song, it's like he's falling into the deepest of sleeps, mm -hmm. right? It's like against all the power that he's, you know, been fighting, wrestling with the rest, you know, pleading yeah. at the opening moments of the song, he couldn't fight anymore and he's fallen, mm -hmm. you know? And now he's in the dreams. He was trying to fight, you know, fight, to avoid right he's in right. there and we get a small glimpse of what those dreams those visions are through the next movement of the song i guess yeah yeah and i also uh, appreciate the sound of the i like that you're holding you call it falling down it's like yep that's what it sounds like bye bye alice <laughs> yeah it's it's it seems like a dark alice in wonderland too mm -hmm. a little bit you know i can definitely feel that um and then we get the growling What he said there was, there is failure inside, the test I can't persist, kept back by the enigma, no criterias demanded here, deadly patterns made my wreath prosperous in your ways, pale ghost in the corner pouring a caress on your shoulder. Who knows what any of this stuff means, but to me, like the fact that it's so jumbled and just, it, it uses words like enigma, no criterias, um, test, failure deadly patterns like it's ambiguous and jumbled up and uh incom uh, incomprehensible on purpose because this is this is the dream state mm. right this is when you know your dreams they are incoherent they make no sense yeah. you know a lot of the time it's just like Mine? words and images just jumbled up and you know and you you can try to make sense of it after you wake but at the time especially like a trouble like a nightmare Mm -hmm. This seems like a nightmare where it's just like these horrible images that don't make any sense. And they're just, you're just bombarded with, with it, you know, and this is the thing that he was afraid of. Yeah. And the growling, I think intensifies the uh, confusion of the moment, right? Just the oppressiveness of being in this state of mind that you don't want to be in. Right. So let me tell you about this relationship I see. Okay. <laughs> um, it still works. Maybe just not like, what like the two lines in it but just kind of the 
once you start to fall into spiral, when somebody is not giving you answers, you make your own answers. It's like, there's a failure inside. This is a test I can't persist. Like, they're testing me and I can't figure it out. They're back to being an enigma. Everything I do, like, there is no, no criteria demanded here. Like, there's nothing stated that I can fix. Your frustration and rage has taken over, you know. You've yeah. reached the point where... You're going to be petty in this relationship. Absolutely. You're going to go down in the basement and write a song about it. <laughs> this is that song. Never made it as a pale ghost in the corner on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, except for like the, the bottom part where where it's even like you're prospering, you're, you're prosperous in your ways. Like if this is what you meant for me to do by your silent treatment to like spiral like this because you're a monster good job you've done it pale ghost in the corner you're always in the back of my head you know like kind of thing you can do this i will say the only line that i had highlighted when i read this myself without talking to you is deadly patterns made my wreath and i wrote self-harm question mark maybe because <laughs> i was like that's an interesting way to put that i'm not gonna say pretty self-harm is bad kids don't do it but that that could be a reason why this person's running from these visions, you know, like this, this, these visions in their mind, taking them back to traumatic events. You know, it's like that, that could be fueling the fear of sleep or you know, PTSD, like that, stuff like that. Or it's a pa deadly pattern in a relationship. That too. <laughs> but no, absolutely. I totally yeah. hear what you're saying. Anyway. Yeah. So this, this movement here kind of goes on and it's just more of the same. It's just like this oppressive incoherent mumbling by uh, whatever this forces that, you know, is haunting this man, <laughs> you know, I think it's, you know, haunting him in his deepest sleep. You yeah. know, it's the visions that he's been running from. Um, but then a few minutes of that pass and we get quiet again. So it's actually like very nice and pretty there for a second, you yeah. know, kind of gives just like you said in those other songs, it's give you a chance to breathe. Yeah. You know, there is a huge relief when you listen to the song all the way through mm -hmm. after those two minutes where it's just like <laughs> constant <laughs> death metal, yeah. anger, you know, and rage. You just get this quiet, like acoustic guitar, like very pretty, you know, uh, uh, almost like medieval style guitar, you know? Yeah. And, and, Michael's clean vocals and it's just kind of like, cool, take a break, <laughs> you know, and then it ramps up again and then you, you breathe for a second. So, you know, it's, it's almost like someone like waking up from a nightmare, you mm -hmm. know, and it's like relief, but also like you're <sighs> heavy breathing. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, spiraling to the ground below, like autumn leaves left in the wake to fade away, waking up, waking up to your sound again and lapse into the ways of misery. Now, I have a lot of thoughts on like sleep and mm -hmm. the psychology of sleep and stuff like that. Like my own, yeah, you know, artistic uh, ways to describe waking up and sleeping. But to me, there's like this magic moment when you wake up and like for a split second, there's like pure tranquility, right? And you're just like, I'm awake. 
I am not fully awake and conscious. I am not completely unconscious and sleeping. It's like I am, I am like in a state between, mm-hmm. and it's like just peace. Yeah. And then suddenly it all floods back, and if like you're anxious or upset or like stressed out mm-hmm. from whatever is going to happen that day, it all floods back. Yeah. And it's like this lapse into the ways of misery. You know what I mean? So. So he's not happy awake or asleep. No. And I think that's the tragedy of the song. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to go to sleep because I don't want to be haunted by these visions and nightmares. But I also don't want to be awake to confront what's causing them. (laughs) So that's my interpretation of the Drapery Falls. Maybe he should go to the orchard. (laughs) I think he should go to therapy. Therapy. Definitely. Um, But the reason I want to highlight this song is because I think it does a good job of using the death metal sound and growls to tell a story, right? You know, we get clean vocals and then like, you know, like Alice in Wonderland, like, ah, you know, falling Mm -hmm. down the hole. And now it's like this dark, terrible nightmare. It's scary. (laughs) And then you emerge from it, you know, or fall further down, apparently down the spiral, whatever, (laughs) whatever that means. There's layers. Never get out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I, I I think, I think it was really well, really well done. Mm -hmm. And, um, Listening to it all the way through, like we didn't hear, made me really appreciate just the way they use and not use death metal. Mm. You know, it's like they choose to use it when it is going to mean the most. Yeah, it was very effective. Yes. But that is all we're going to talk about for Blackwater Park by Opeth. So what did you think of Blackwater Park? Mm, not my favorite. <laughs> not my favorite. As expected. Yeah. Um, would you recommend it? No. <laughs> No, I would not. Sorry, Opeth. You're good, though. I, You don't need my... I, I honestly... This this music is not for the faint of heart. It's not for everybody. It's not for someone who's not ready to be challenged with music. Like, it's like... This is like... Like I said, this is the final boss of metal. So it's like, if you're a metal fan and you're like, Hey, I'm... You know, I'm, I've, I've listened to, like, classic metal. I've listened to all kinds of stuff. But it's like... I want to really see what metal is capable of as an art form. Mm-hmm. Listen to Opeth. But yeah, I would not I would not recommend this to my mom, <laughs> most of my friends. Like this this is this is the hard stuff. This is the absinthe of like music. Wow. Yeah, the black licorice. Gosh. But what the world think? Blackwater Park. Tell me. Blackwater Park is considered a commercial breakthrough for the band. While it did not chart in the U.S. or the U.K., it did chart in Germany, the Netherlands, and Poland, where it reached number 10. Cool. Yeah, so this is the the rise. You know, they're, they're finally starting to make good money. More importantly, though, Blackwater Park received universal critical acclaim upon release. All right, go off. Canadian music magazine Exclaim, for example, wrote that the album, quote, might be the best metal record this year, and it is worth every bit of energy the band has put into the creating of it. All Music called the album, quote, a work of breathtaking creative breath and, quote, surely the band's coming of age album and therefore an ideal introduction to its remarkable body of work. And in comparing Opeth to groundbreaking musical acts of the past, music media group CMJ called the album, quote, godlike, a metal fusion of Pink Floyd and the Beatles. Would you say that's true? It's got some Pink Floyd stuff in there for sure. There, we have we didn't talk a whole about like there are some guitar solos that are like straight up Pink Floyd solos, Thank which you you, you don't hear a lot in death metal. Fair. 
particular praise went to Stephen Wilson's production. British magazine record collector, for example, called Blackwater Park Opeth's, quote, finest hour, with much of the credit, quote, attributed to the advanced vision of Stephen Wilson. Hmm. Metal magazine Decibel wrote that, quote, Blackwater Park's brilliance is the production. Co-produced by Opeth and Wilson and engineered by Frederick Nordstrom, it's one of the first death metal albums to feel, well, different. Crystal clear, yet resolutely heavy, Blackwater Park is also full of nuance. And music publication Pitchfork asserted that Wilson's, quote, production help and encouragement teased out the band's explorations of acoustic led arrangements as much as electric ones, while further showcasing Ackerfeld's sweet, clear singing as much as the roars. Blackwater Park has the reputation it does, in large part because none of the songs follow the same songwriting formula. Like another band we talked about. Oh, yes. Instead, look, instead looking toward variations within general themes that all build to a dramatic conclusion in the title track. And just to balance things out, the reviewer for Sputnik Music, while praising several songs called tracks The Drapery Falls, Dirge of November, and The Funeral Portrait, quote, boring to the point of tears. Oh, wow. <laughs> Not a fan of the long arrangements, well. I think. That same outlet did eventually name Blackwater Park number 39 on its list of the top 100 albums of the decade, though. Well. Blackwater Park was named the 55th greatest metal album of all time by Rolling Stone, the 36th best prog album of all time by Team Rock, the 28th greatest prog rock album of all time by Rolling Stone, the 15th best metal album of all time by Loudwire, the 5th best album of the 2000s by Terrorizer, the fifth best metal album in history by LA Weekly, the fourth best album of all time by Metal Storm, the third best metal album of the decade by Decibel, the third best metal album of the 21st century by Metal Sucks, the number one best album of 2001 by Metal Storm, and the number one best progressive metal album of all time by Loudwire. That's a lot of accolades. Yep. That's not just like metal sites either. It's like we're talking like Rolling Stone and LA Weekly. Yeah. I mean, cool. <laughs> when I said the people called this their magnum opus, I wasn't joking. Yeah. And where did Opeth go from here? Because this might be a relief to some people. We're not going to talk about Opeth again. Thank you. <laughs> After the release of Blackwater Park, Opeth embarked on their first world tour, headlining Europe for the first time in their career. They then returned to the studio and recorded two albums simultaneously, 2002's Deliverance and 2003's Damnation. Wow. That was, it was like they wanted to do one hard one and one soft one. Huh. So, very interesting. The latter earned the band the Swedish Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance. Cool. Following the release of the critically acclaimed Ghost Reveries in 2005, which is my favorite Opeth album, mm. which featured the band's new keyboardist, Per Weiberg, both drummer Martin Lopez and guitarist Peter Lindgren parted ways with Opeth. They were replaced with Martin Axenrot and Frederick Ackeson, respectively. We lost... A Martin and gain a Martin? Yes. So we have still have, still two, have Martins. two Martins. This lineup would record two more albums, both critically acclaimed, 2008's Watershed and 2011's Heritage. The latter proved to be a bit of a turning point for the band as they abandoned many of the death metal elements that they had been known for and fully embraced a more progressive rock sound. Now, I, I, I like Heritage quite a bit, but it is a new Opeth. Mm-hmm. They, they are... They've like, all the stuff that you liked from Blackwater Park, it's kind of all heritage. Yeah. 
yeah cool. they, they, <laughs> they 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 decided yeah like we're, we're kind of done with death metal like we want to do something else my voice is going <laughs> right i'm in my 30s now <laughs> Keyboardist Per Weiberg departed Opeth before Heritage's release, which would be the band's last lineup shakeup for over a decade. He was replaced with Joachim Schwalberg. Opeth has released three more albums in their new style, 2014's Pale Communion, 2016's Sorceress, and 2019's Encauda Venenum. All right. And it wouldn't be an Opeth legacy segment without one last lineup change. <laughs> in 2021, the longtime drummer... Martin Axenrot left the band due to, quote, conflicts of interest. Sammy Karpinen is currently acting as the band's touring drummer. Now we only have one Martin? Yes. Oh, no. And that's Opeth. Oh, no, Peth. We did it. Yay. Yeah, that was, this is a long episode. Yeah. This is. Kids, I, I try to keep, I try to keep I know. the segment How short. did we talk just as much about Opeth as we did about Nickelback. Because you like Opeth, and before we even went into the history, before we even went into the making of, you talked for literally 10 minutes. <laughs> we It's okay. Antagonism brings out the longest episodes. I think that's what we've learned here today. Yeah. Anyway, next order of business. As we all know, you can't judge a music album by its music alone. No. You could. We have to judge these albums on their album artwork. We don't have to. So I've pulled up the album arts for Silver Side Up by Nickelback and Blackwater Park by Opeth. So you're looking at I'm Silver looking Side Up. I'm at Chad's Eye. Is that Chad? I don't know. <laughs> Could be Chad. It's probably Chad. I think his eyes are blue and his skin is that color. It's tape. <laughs> um, so it is the close-up of an eye looking away a blue eye looking away um with some cheek action and that's all you really see and the eye is crying silver tear looks like magnesium wait what's in a what's in a thermometer mercury mercury looks like he's crying mercury it's silver mercury it's too it's too it's too moody like it's in a, too moody for the it's album. like too angsty like i feel like it's too on the nose it's you know? very post post 2001 you yes. know yeah, yeah. absolutely it's a, uh, yep, it's just kind of blue, white, and brownish paper. It's like the subject matter of Silver Side Up might make you cry, but the songs themselves don't. I cried. <laughs> not a lot of. I cried many This is not tears. crying music. This is. You're not crying music. But describe for us an uh, Opeth's album cover. Opeth has a very nice um, O for their Peth. Their, their logo looks sweet. Yeah, it looks a little bit like the rose from Beauty and the Beast. Um, just kind of it's like... very ornate. Up and, yeah, it's really cute. I like it. It's cute. Uh, the rest of it is a bog. It looks like a pencil, pencil sketch of a bog. It's like an oil with painting. Looks like pencil. Okay. <laughs> or oil. Um, or a Bob Ross. Maybe this is the, the sin-painted something. <laughs> um... And yeah, so it's a it's a bog with a tr spindly trees and people standing in the background. So it, it, just like in Harvest, it's those those dark figures, you know. Mm -hmm. This this might be the orchard. Oh, this might be the orchard. This Everything is the wilted, is wilted people. Yeah. Um, this. Why would you? Why did you for a second not know this was hell, dude? <laughs> uh, this artwork was created by Travis Smith, who creates awesome metal artworks. He does all of Opeth stuff, but I love this album cover because it's like the dark surrealism that I enjoy. It's like the dark soulism. It's like creepy and moody and 
mysterious. I love I love this album cover. I think it's better than yeah, Silver no, Side Yeah, no, I up. think it's better than yeah. Silver Side It's up. more artful. Like you you can hang this Absolutely. up without the Opeth stuff. Yeah, I would keep the Opeth. I think my favorite part of that is the word Opeth. <laughs> As if we didn't have enough we might not have enough time for this story, but um, I used to have a t-shirt with the Opeth logo on it, mm-hmm. and I was on a cruise with my parents, and I remember waiting to get on an elevator on the cruise, and this older gentleman like turned the corner, saw my shirt, and said, no way. <laughs> he's like, you like Opeth? And he's like, it may, late 30s, early 40s, maybe, you know, and I'm like a teenager, and he's Cute. like... He's like, oh, you know, like he. Like, let's he, talk about it now. He's, he'd never seen another Opeth fan before in the oh, wild. Yeah. And now we're on a boat together. Yeah. Anyway, what's our next order of business? Who won? The harder, the harder, and the harder question is whose album was better? Mine. No, Opeth's Mine. better. Mine. 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 We're gonna well, cut I, this. We, we're gonna yeah, split like, it right yeah, now. Yeah, it was like we, we've already. I'm not, I'm not bending on this. We, one. we fought enough. I don't like yours, and you don't like Absolutely mine. Absolutely true. We're cutting it in half. Help us break the tie on Twitter and on Instagram at Media Made Show. Yeah. Time for plugs. You can no. Fall. I mean, we can, but I would like to tell the kids what we could have been listening to. Oh, runners other up? than Opeth. Okay. <laughs> what, are, what were our runners up? So for you, we could have been it's listening. A dry year. Two thousand one. Well, no, a little bit. Uh, considering how many uh, movies we had. For you, we could have been listening to Avenged Sevenfold. The album's called Sounding the Seventh Trumpet. That is their debut. Oh. Um, I I like old, like, I, I like more recent Avenged Sevenfold music. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, they were fully metalcore. Not unlike Opeth, where they went from being one genre and then kind of settled on a different one throughout their career. Avenged Sevenfold started straight up metalcore. Then they went to a more hard rock, heavy metal, straight sound. Now they're progressive metal. Evolution in yeah, art yeah. is always necessary. That album's even if they went the other way. Yeah, I don't know that album super well, but I have heard it all the way through. Cool. We also for you had Jordan Rudis's "Feeding the Wheel." Jordan Rudis, the keyboardist for Dream Theater. Yes. This is one of his like progressive-y, uh, synthy, like electronic type albums. Like you know, it's synth rock. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like a you know straight piano you know classical piano stuff because he kind of goes back and forth between them it's like yeah he's gonna make a prog rock album or he's gonna make a classical piano album this is a prog rock album yeah and uh, it's pretty good to the classical ones yeah 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 feeding the wheel it's a lot of fun nice well that's it for you (laughs) yeah i told you (laughs) it was a pretty dry year for you you're right for me we could have been listening to o-town's o-town o-town that was a manufactured boy band right Yes, it was a P Diddy joint, and they had a they had a reality TV show. Is that yes, right? Yes, making the band, and you saw them live. Uh, it was the first concert I ever went to. Yes, <laughs> I feel like you're pulling questions from yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> but um, the other album that was also basically making the band, but with girls. There was two girl bands that I really enjoyed that were went through this kind of machine. Uh, one was called Eden's Crush, which did not debut this year, but the other one was called Dream, and their album was called It's All It Was All a Dream. And I feel like one of the only reasons this isn't my album is because you legit can't almost can't find these songs anywhere. Like you can't like download them anywhere. You have wow. to kind of watch them. Well, oh, oh, I'm looking, and now it's on YouTube. 
it wasn't before. So but but I gonna... hear I hear Nickelback coming at your phone all the time. That's fair. No, so that's what I'm saying. I was like, I was not, I was unable to have this on my phone. Am I going to now put it on my phone? Absolutely, because I'm looking at it, it's like he loves you not. He loves me. He loves you not. That's literally the lyric. Like I can sing most of these songs just by looking at the titles. Anyway, so it could have been that album, and you guys would have loved it just as much as Nickelback. <laughs> And my other album that, um, let's be honest, all of you are real mad that it isn't, is NSYNC Celebrity. There you go. I was out of NSYNC by that point. So Dirty Pop. Okay. I've, I've probably heard Dirty Pop. I've probably heard some of those songs, but. Yeah. 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 Definitely. That's a, yeah, 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 yeah. That was, a, that was like their last album. Yeah, that was their last album up. before they were like, oh, we're going to just take a break, do some solo stuff. Justin? Justin's going to make bring sexy back. Justin, where are you? I thought it was a hiatus. Are we breaking up? <laughs> yep, that's how it went. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are all of our runners up for 2001. Now it's time for plugs. Yeah. As I said, you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Media Made Show on mm -hmm. both. Mm -hmm. We will be playing probably some music videos, putting up those polls, mm -hmm. sharing some album artwork, mm -hmm. all that good stuff. Uh, you can... Do us some favors. You can follow the show on your podcast platform of choice. Mm -hmm. Leave us a review with words. Five stars. All nice. Appreciate it. Here's something. You can buy us a coffee on coffee.com. Mm -hmm. That's ko-fi.com slash media made. So if you want to send us a few dollars, you know, make our day. Coffee.com slash media made. I really need some coffee, kids. <laughs> I really, really need some coffee. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at RobTheMaster. Um, I write for a video game website called ZeldaDungeon.net. We talk all about the Legend of Zelda video game series. And I host a YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. We talk all about the careers and characters of our favorite professional wrestlers. What do you got? Uh, I have a YouTube that I probably posted a video on sometime last month uh, as I'm working on it, even though my computer is trying to not have me edit it. So uh, you can find me on YouTube at Taming Tales. Uh, I basically just uh, tell stories and I'm sort of starting to vlog a little bit. Uh, don't be weird about it. Um, you can follow, and also you can find all of the links to everything we're talking about if you've forgotten them down in our down there square what's that called information box description box description box um as we'll have our link tree attached and you can find all of the things that we are up to buy her book or not it's called the process by jb hatcher or not <laughs> you like inner torment <laughs> if you like if you like inner torment in the same way that opeth does it buy my book the process by jb hatcher anyway <laughs> that's all that we're gonna close down this show now i'm gonna give everyone a break I, I was like hey let's not close out with a metal song by opeth let's let's close out with a mellow track yeah there's a song on the album called patterns in the ivy and it's a slow beautiful gorgeous instrumental track that features stephen wilson on piano okay okay you're gonna listen to this you're like that's that's the same album that we've been <laughs> listening to for the last two hours yes it is still don't recommend you listen to it though <laughs> But that is that. We thank you all. We will see you all next time with our TV of 2001. And remember, kids, around here, if it smells funny, that means onions getting pilled. <laughs>